Hey everyone, it's Dave. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to talk to you for a second about, you know, some of the business that we do here at the start of episodes. I just wanted to remind you guys that on top of doing these podcasts, I'm also a writer. I write screenplays and I write books. Well, we'll say book, because right now it's not plural yet. I have written a book called Shadow Killer. It's a novella. It's a short book. You can read it pretty quickly. It takes place in the world of Hugh Howey's Wool, his uh, Silo Saga books. And that's available on Amazon.com for Kindle. Currently, that's the only way it's available. If you've got Kindle Unlimited, it's a free read. If not, it's $1.99. It's a pretty good deal. And if you're looking for a way to support what I do here, let me tell you something. Seeing reviews on that book, seeing those sales come in when they do, that really is something that gets me pretty happy about what I do. So if I could encourage you to uh, take a look at that, that would be awesome. Also, there's a short film that I wrote that Brian Campbell directed that's up on Amazon. It's called Big Boy. It's four minutes long. Once again, if you have Amazon Prime, it's free. Definitely check that out. I'm very happy with the way that turned out. That was the one that we were able to go to Tribeca with in 2015 and have the premiere there in one of their shorts blocks. So I've got links to all that stuff on the nobodiesknows.com website. If you go to the page for this podcast episode and scroll down, you'll see all kinds of links. If you go all the way to the bottom of the page, you'll also see links for people who have supported the show or helped me out with these various projects. We've got Briar's Music for Polymorph and the other stuff that he does that's on there. Please go check that stuff out. I think it's very cool and I'm honored to be able to use that music for the intro and outro music for this podcast. We've got Boris's book on there, and we've actually got a link for the sponsor of this episode of I've Known You Too Long. Let's, uh, let's actually get to that part of the business. And now, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of I've Known You Too Long is brought to you by McGregor Hauling and Removal. Have you got a bunch of stuff that you need to get rid of? You know the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Like if you're moving out and you have to get rid of all your extra clutter or you have an older relative, they're downsizing. Maybe they've got a house full of stuff and you need to help them deal with it. Maybe it's a garage full of junk that you've been piling up or, or a storage unit packed with whatever that you've been paying on for years and you just want to get rid of it. Any scenario where you have stuff that needs to go away, McGregor Hauling and Removal can help you deal with it. They've even recently added demolition services. If you need something torn down and hauled away, they're the people to talk to. They'll send a truck over with some guys to quickly and efficiently empty that space out for you. So in Seattle or the surrounding areas in the Pacific Northwest, give McGregor Hauling and Removal a call for a quote on your job at 206-636-3393. Again, that number is 206-636-3393. And say you heard about them on this podcast for 10% off your quote. If you prefer to contact them online, you can check them out at mcgregorhauling.com. That's M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R hauling.com. Or just send an email to info at mcgregorhauling.com. And don't forget to mention that you heard about them on the I've Known You Too Long podcast for 10% off your quote. Okay, I think that's everything I needed to tell you about. Let's get started. Here we go. Welcome back to I've Known You Too Long. It's Dave. I'm back with another episode. Today I have someone who uh, actually I've been waiting to have them on the show because I wanted them to hit an artificial milestone that I had created around this podcast before they were allowed to come on the show. I wanted them on the whole time, but rules are rules and I had to do it this way. This is someone who you might know from his band Gunmen and Flight Paths. 
No? Maybe you know him as your running coach. No? Maybe you know him as the singer from the helm. Or, as I know him, my prior roommate and my co-host on the little-known, never-aired, and not-real Drive Time Morning Show, Dave and Bob in the Morning. He is also the only person who has the distinction of being recorded in the podcast studio that was once his bedroom, Bob Swift. Welcome, Bob. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! You said you were going to do that. I, I realized it about, I would say, about, I don't know, like five minutes ago when we were getting set up. I'm in my old bedroom. This is, yes, which almost, is now. Almost every episode of this podcast has been recorded in this room, except for the road versions. And you used to sleep right there, yeah. right where I'm pointing. This truly is the place where magic continues to happen. Magic happens in this room, I guess. <laughs> I am only aware of the post-2015 <laughs> magic and the hints of magic I would hear sometimes through the walls. Did you ever Did you ever um, watch Cribs like that? show yeah the cribs anytime anybody walked into their bedroom like during that they're like this is where the magic happens and and it was like okay so what are you talking sleight of hand are you talking like <laughs> trick prop magic did, are did you no talking? one ever do that did no one ever put put on a funny <laughs> yeah. hat and like yeah. pull out a fucking dove <laughs> that would have been awesome no the best cribs was wu-tang Oh, you know, the the Red Man one, where he had just the box, the shoe box of cash on top of his <laughs> fridge. He's like, this is just my money. Were they also work. playing uh, Nintendo? Yeah there, was, so? yeah, there was that. Awesome. And then there was that guy who was like the Headbangers Ball host for a while. Ricky and, Rackman? No, no. He was like the latter era one, like Matt something. Pinfield. No, no. But he was like this this stout, bald white guy pinfield no it wasn't pinfield i know what pinfield looks like and it was Stout, a younger dude bald white yeah, guy there were more than just one jamie of those. josta <laughs> no he but aren't the, all of these names correct i think pinfield did like 120 minutes or something yeah he did know. 120 minutes yeah um but um this uh this dude he's like showing people his house and he walks to his like he's got this really extensive figurine collection because like everyone was collecting figurines like spawn shit oh uh, yeah like mcfarlane yeah. toys yeah and he had the mcfarlane or some sort of other brand metallica figures but he didn't have lars and he pointed out he did that on purpose <laughs> and and I, I just thought that was a wonderful touch nice but um yeah Dude from newfound glory uh the guitar player showed his gorilla biscuits on purple yeah I remember and i that too. really yeah. appreciated that it actually yeah. upped my opinion of that band just slightly yeah just slightly it's like yeah you put that on mtv that was kind of yeah oh because only a few people watching this are going to actually understand the significance yeah by the way uh i am stoked to be on this podcast i am a fan of this podcast i can't say that i've listened to every episode but i've listened to most kind of fan are you um and i don't know what that means you're supposed to say oscillating oscillating oh no i didn't i with you i don't know i ventilation you're a ventilation fan? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fucking vent fan. So, so, But I would just got to say that one of the great strengths of this podcast oh, is... What are you is, trying to do here? I'm just trying to talk about my former roommate who was a fantastic human. One of the great strengths of this podcast is that you are such an, a great conversationalist that like, you can just tell that like this is kind of one of the myriad things that you are destined to have done, right? Is, <laughs> is there a format where somebody can 
talk in a fantastically awesome way to other people and just share those conversations, yes, there's podcasts. And of course, Dave Larson would have a podcast. And of course, it would be awesome. So I'm stoked. Wow. Yeah. So I'll have your check. Um, yeah. My, but... rep, my representatives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, okay. So speaking of format, we need to get to the format. Yeah. Oh, sorry. by the way, it was very nice of you to say, I may cut it out. So if it's, if, if people don't know what we're talking about, it's because I cut out all the nice things you said, because don't. <laughs> you could do all that stuff that people used to do before they could digitally sample and like cut tape to make people like the, the band crass had Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan having a phone call. And they had just taken all these media samples of them and cut them together. And so do that. Just change what you're saying. Yes. No. So, uh, so we have to stick with the format, Bob. So the format is Bob, I've known you too long. I felt that every day I lived with you. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Now, unlike other people who have been on this podcast, like many of them, I haven't actually known you as long. No, as no. I feel like the youngin. Because the rule was 15 years when I started this. I had to know someone for 15 years before I would put them on the show. It's been about 16 now. Is that right? Yeah. So, okay. So I don't remember the exact day and moment we met, but I have this feeling that it was at the Paradox in the U District. Yeah, I can tell you when I thought I met you. Okay, um, that's what we do. So when we, did we? When was our first meeting? We, so in case anyone is only listening to this episode of the podcast, because Bob's on, which is awesome, on this podcast, I figure out when I met somebody, we go back and talk about their lives and what it was that led them down a path where they would eventually run into me and then we talk about their life from that point forward. Yeah, and I'm glad there's structure here because you've had many a conversation with me where I've just like tried to add all the context in the world to everything that I say. Also, when you said go back, I just immediately had Huey Lewis in the news back in time in my head. So there's a soundtrack Why? running just because that's the way my brain works, but we can talk about that later. Um, you can go ahead and note all of the song changes in the I already, playlist I, in your head as I've, we go through. I already have had like three throughout this, and I can't remember <laughs> the first two, but the, the third was Huey Lewis back in time. Um, and maybe I'll just keep doing that, make, keep a running list. Um, but uh, um, I came to visit Seattle in 2001. The border was closed because it was, of all months, September. The border uh, to Seattle? No, no. So um, we can talk more about my past, but I'm half Canadian. And so um, I came out here to check out this city, potentially to move here one day, and then also um, uh, to go visit family. And I had slated two weeks for that. And my family that I wanted to visit, besides my mom, who lived in Tacoma at the time, was... Uh, Canadian. Oh. So I was going to cross the border. One thing I didn't have was a passport because I never needed one across the border before. And I have a Canadian birth certificate. So that makes me like not necessarily at first glance an American, according to the people at the border. So after the, the tragic events of September 11th, the border was closed like immediately. And um, they got super intense about passports and documentation. And I'd almost been detained once before when I went on a bus and I was going to go on a bus this time. So I was like, okay, I can't go. So I spent two weeks in the city. And then I went to a couple shows. And the Paradox, I went to two shows there. I saw a Minus the Bear with um, uh, The Rapture. All right. Um, and um, I was way into that kind of like, uh, I don't know what kind of indie-ish rock mm -hmm. at the time. And then... And that was an offshoot of your raver past no no and oh we'll get to, to that we'll get to that i'm sure that okay files will be pulled but um no uh i um 
I went to see Countervail at the Paradox. Oh, I certainly saw Countervail. Yeah. Paradox. And I'd never seen this band before. They played a good show. And this and was then, on your trip out? This was on my trip out. Oh, I, we totally met at that show. Yeah. And I knew you from uh, the fact that in every Maximum Rock and Roll I'd ever looked at, there was an Excursion Records ad. And there Back was. Then, yeah. yeah. And then I had At Both Ends and um, a number of other things that were at least adjacent to the scene and everything as far as in my CD collection. And so you had a number of releases from my record label. At least at least one or two. Um, I mean, besides at both ends, but like nothing like super like deep cut like 1007 or anything like that. That wasn't that was I consider that. More I was just a, clarifying it yeah. just in case someone was listening that didn't know what you were talking about. Oh, yeah. So Dave Larson for years ran a record label known as Excursion Records. Um, Good voice. Yeah. Ha <laughs> 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 ha. So, um, yeah, no, I, I saw an excursion table. And I was like, this this is pretty cool because I knew they were from Seattle. And and then I met you there. I'm sure I probably said something like, I've seen your ads in Maximum Rock and Roll. Wait, so I was actually selling stuff at a merch table. Maybe. I think it, it had to right. be. Yeah. And and um, I remember going to another show. Like, Who else played the Countervale show? Yeah, that's the thing I can't really remember. There's only two people I remember meeting at that show that like uh, I met. Well, I didn't meet the other one. I just knew I saw her. And, um, and that was someone who ended up being my, you know, dating me for a while after I moved here. But like I remember seeing her and meeting you. Okay, so, hold on a second. Yep. I'm gonna see if I can figure this out. Cause I agree. We met at the Countervale show at the excursion merch table there in was, 2001 or early 2002. It was it was late 2001. It okay. was September. Probably my birthday was on the 25th, so it was probably late September, early October. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who cannot see the video feed, which is non-existent. Davis typing. He is reading some words. Hold on. We're almost there. We're almost there. Pulling up an old stranger.com calendar. Oh, no fooling. All ages action. Unfortunately, it was not Botch, the Blood Brothers, and Teen Cthulhu. No, you know, and that was at the Redmond Firehouse, right? Was that supposed to be? Yeah. Yeah, I went to that show, but Botch had to cancel. I was so stoked to see Botch. They were one of my favorite bands. And they had to cancel, and Himza played instead. And and John Pettibone was singing for them at the time. So we met okay. on Saturday, September 29th at the Paradox Theater in the University District. Who else played? It was Countervale, uh-huh. Himsa, oh, and anyway, the so. Entropy Project. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, I that was the show. Yeah. We pinpointed the date. We did. Well, we could pinpoint it probably it was probably <clears throat> sometime between seven and nine. Yeah. <laughs> it was 8.53 p.m. I was slightly hungry. I hadn't eaten in a while. And I was thinking to myself, man, what a piece of work is man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm just, I digress. There'll be lots of digressions. I think you may have to come over when I start my improv podcast. That's fine. Um, which yeah. it, it will be terrible. Yeah. I'm, I'm fully thinking I'm going to make a bad improv podcast. Uh, that are just fake situations. Yeah. But you'll have to be one of my one well, of my guys. One of the things that I know about improv is that you have to like accept whatever circumstances are put in front of you. Yes and. Yes and. But the problem is I'm like the you'd also probably have to be strong at making those circumstances up. And I'm not good at any of that. Like being spontaneously like creative is really difficult for me. I could be just like if I'm like looking at it as being creative. Does that make sense? Are you able to have conversations? Barely. 
Have you, you talked to anybody who knows me? <laughs> These are usually excruciating. <laughs> well, what we're trying to tell people is you lived with me for a number of years. Yeah. So, um, okay. Let's let's merge back onto the road that we were on, sir. See, that's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. Like, a conversation is like improv. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm, true. There are probably people that are so pissed at me right now yeah. for trashing their art form. So, so what's the deal? Wayne so, Brady is going to come knocking at your door. Wayne Brady? Or who's Colin... I'm just thinking, uh, whose line is it anyway? You're just throwing a bunch. Of, it, uh, was Wayne Brady on whose line is it anyway? Fuck yeah, he was. I he was great. That show. Oh, I really like it. okay, never mind. I think it was on. I both. liked him on Chappelle. Yeah, that was great too. Um, uh, that was the part of my life where I lived here, where we were watching Chappelle all the time. Okay, so let's. <laughs> no, uh, not here. Not some here, mostly over at the old Bro Zone. Right. <laughs> yeah. okay. old bro zone okay so what when you left we... then you left right, because you went you... back to syracuse oh yeah so 2001 i left um it was pretty great like i enjoyed the time here and i didn't know at the time that the fall like the the sort of mid to late autumn is the best time to be alive in seattle the weather is fucking fantastic yeah it's pretty cool and there's this fucking ginormous mountain that's like everywhere you look everything like sort of if you look in that direction you can't escape this mountain you're describing mount rainier and yeah but i came from a place with no like interesting topography you know we had what are called drumlins it's a little hilly there isn't it yeah there's drumlins and those are glacial leave you know glaciers left them behind drumlins drumlins yeah but I are mean, they like alluvial fans but on the on i don't the, know on the land and not the I mean, not at the mouths of rivers. So the mountains out there are much, much older and like. Oh, are, really? Well, they're much older. And then well, the they, mountains where I'm from are much older. <laughs> they're not. A, what a weird <laughs> brag, Bob. I wasn't brag. This is I knew there would be a lot of this in the podcast, too. So um, either way. So um, uh, I I'm, I'm from Syracuse, New York at the time, um, and I fly back home and. I had talked to my mom who had offered me a place to stay while I was getting on my feet if I ever moved out here. I said, hey, you know, in a year, I think it would be good for me to move out here. And she's like, cool, yeah, I just I got a guest room. You can get on your feet. And then I was like, cool. So I um, flew back to Syracuse and it was freezing rain when I landed. And I called my mom. I said, hey, I'll see you in six months. And six months later, I was out here. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's the story. So I had moved into a... That September, when you met me, I had just moved into a, a new house. Yes. Um, where I was living with Carrie Whitney. Ha ha. You, sir, are correct. And Jamin Ferguson. Ha ha Can I just Ed McMahon the rest of this? No. So where did you live when you... Ha <laughs> ha. That is right. Oh, I keep... There's a lot of red. A lot of... Well, you're yeah. putting a lot of red... You've got a lot of red in your ledger. Yeah. My, yes. Okay. So... Um, where we, where are we traveling back in time? Like Huey Lewis or am I just, yeah, yeah we, we put, we're going to put the pin in the moving out. Okay. I'm just getting in my head now I've where got moving I was. Out by Billy Joel in my head. Good. Okay. Um, bosom cool. buddies. Oh, that is right. Yeah. I always, uh, but he didn't sing it. It was like someone else singing. It, I always mix that up with stepping out. Oh yeah. By Joe. It's good. Say. It's a good yeah. song. Yeah, no, it's a great song. That's one of my favorite songs from 1983. I forgot that you did a whole, you did a year by year musical assessment at one point where you listened to all the hit songs from the different years. Well, yeah, it's just, it's the background music of when I work. It's just like stuff I don't have to think about too much. But you needed to put a, like a theme to it. Yeah. No, I did 1982. 
that was the year. That I thought I you did all the 80s. No, I couldn't do all the 80s. I did 82 albums from 1982. Oh, okay. What was the best one? Oh, man, it was probably the Talk Talk album. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was really good. There was, some, there, was, there was police in there too, right? Yeah, I know. Actually, was there police? Yeah, they did a, like, Synchronicity was the year after that. I can't remember if mm. there was a police. There was some stuff that was really easy to listen to. And then there was some stuff that was like, oh, I'm really just. And you listened to the entire albums? Yeah, the entire albums. 82 albums from 1982. Yeah. And then I tried to do 94 from 1994. No, I tried to do 92 from 1992. And, and Vogue was a strong one. I'm just going to put that out there. Hmm. Um, but uh, um, <laughs> um, but I don't remember if I got all the way through that because then I just was like, I want to listen to something else right now. <laughs> so I, I mean, I had streaming music and a, a workplace that allowed me to just put on headphones all day. So I could okay. do that. So all right. yeah. that was like four years ago. Wow. Four? Really? No, no. Probably more like six. So um, so do I go back in time for me? No, I'll take uh, you. Okay. Take me back in time, Dave. You're back to Huey Lewis, I'm assuming. No, no, I was trying to, I was more like focused on the take me back, you know, so I was like, maybe oh. Eddie Money's I want to go back. Oh, but you can't go back, you know. So Bob, what we do on this podcast is I take you back and we figure out what your deal is. Mm -hmm. And I figure out the things about you that make you you. Mm -hmm. Because um, everyone I've met for the most part in this podcast, I know them through the music scene, mm -hmm. hardcore punk rock music. And people... Uh, People come from strange circumstances and have a similar, you know, a lot of similar situations that I think is interesting to compare and contrast. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things fascinating about this podcast. I'm like, oh, I had a similar experience, you know. Oh, let's so, uh, let's yeah. talk about it then. Yeah. Where are you from? I was born in a small hamlet in, <laughs> I don't know if it, it's actually a city on the coast, the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia. It's about, if you were to drive it in a straight line, it would probably be about two or three hours from Vancouver. This town's called Powell River, but there's like the coast is all like jankity and filled with fjords, fjords. And, and so just so we're clear, what's the Sunshine Coast? The Sunshine Coast is like the sort of like promotional name for that part of the coast of Vig uh, British Columbia. Okay. You know, the Sunshine Coast, come see the stuff. Come out to the town. We'll have a couple of beers. I don't know. You know, so <laughs> what is it? I'm getting Bruce Willis diehard here. So, um. So I was born on the Sunshine Coast, but I didn't live there. My my grandparents lived there, and my mom had moved up there for a little bit, and I think my dad was in the Wait, military. Wait, so you were a Canadian anchor baby? Yes. Um. Uh. No. My grandparents were Canadian. My mom just moved into their house for a little bit. To have the baby? No. She was probably in between different places we were moving when my dad was in the military, and that seemed like a good place to stay for she a while. She was American, right? I don't have the full story. I was not yet conscious. Were you born um, in Kenya? My mom was was Canadian. She's since become a naturalized um, citizen. And no, but my birth certificate does say that I was born in a different country. Um, but um, since I'm white, nobody would care as far as those people that care about the, oh. the Obama birth certificate. Oh, got it. Yeah. Because I look like them, which is. Oh, are you implying that those people are racist? I would. What? Dave? Yes, I am implying that people who ask for Obama's I don't, birth certificate are I racist. don't imply. Yeah. I flat out <laughs> yeah. state it. Yes, yeah. yeah. So um they are racist. So um uh I was born in Powell River. My dad was in the Air Force. We moved around a bit. Um I lived in West Germany at one point, back when it was West Germany, that which was cool. You did? Yeah. Did you like look over the wall? No, no, that's Berlin. Um so that's actually Well, is Berlin part of West Germany? It was I mean, I'm being corrected like I'm a fucking child here. No, 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 no. You're right. It's it's politically part of West Germany, but 
but it was actually nestled within the the geographic boundaries of East Germany. Which is why they had to do the... Uh, they put a wall around it. So they put people, a wall around yeah, it, yeah. I know from the Sex Pistols song, and because um, that's where I got my, my history. And they also uh, did a, an airplane. They lifted... There was a Berlin airlift yes. where they brought in everything that people needed for like a long time, right? A couple, a couple months or a couple weeks or something, and that was... Was it months or weeks, do you think? I, don't, I can't remember, but it was during the late 50s. Or early 50s. It was when the Cold War was heating up. So Tonight on Magnum, the Cold War heats is, up with a Berlin airlift. What I'm wondering is, um, it must have been strange to bring supplies into a place by air mm-hmm. at that time. So did it just cease to be the Berlin airlift when people were just like, yeah, this is pretty efficient way to get things to places. And then everyone just started doing it all over the place. The Berlin resupply. <laughs> The Berlin, this is how we do things most of the time now. <laughs> the Berlin UPS plane. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, ultimately, there are three road corridors in and out of Berlin. Oh, they, they and, negotiated a... And so, in the end... So you didn't... You weren't those, in Berlin. Those reopened. Ah, uh, okay. There was this great movie I saw as a kid called Gotcha with Anthony Edwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, paintball gun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, maybe it wasn't as great as I remember it. No. But I saw it a couple years ago, and I still enjoyed what I enjoyed about it as a kid. Um. Uh, it was one of the, yeah, because yeah. it was a kid and there was sex in it. Well, but no, but there was also it's like spy intrigue and like yeah. comedy. But there was like a, wasn't there like a hot East German agent or something? She was supposed to be Czech, and her name was uh, Sasha Benicek. Sasha Benicek. But the spoiler alert, and you know the word spoiler is very difficult for me to say. Spoiler alert. Um, only when I say alert afterwards, I can say spoiler. But if I say spoiler alert, I have to really work on enunciating it. So spoiler so alert. You just don't mash your words together the way I do. You are a slurred mass of just... I am most it, of the time. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, she was actually a deep cover American agent. You find out at the end of the movie. Oh, I feel like yeah. that got ripped off uh, for a recent film that came out that was quite good. Spoiler alert, Atomic Blonde. Oh, yeah, that was good, too. Yeah, man, she... It was a really good movie. She beats the crap out of people. I have to say, it didn't get the hype I thought it deserved. I thought that was a great movie. Yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Um, if you... For fans of... Uh, What's that John Wick? Because it's the same fight choreography. Yeah. yeah and it's a, it's a interesting... I didn't know. I couldn't tell from the trailers when they were advertising it that it was a period piece, that it took place yeah. before the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. It was more stylistically a period piece than it was like, you know, like they went through and like leafed through all these things to be very accurate. But yeah, um, the Americans just finished on FX. Yeah, I feel like people didn't even know how to fight that way back then. Yeah, no, they probably didn't. They just added, like, we've already had the UFC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know, everyone needs to know Thai kickboxing. and yeah, uh... somewhere in central Brazil. <laughs> and jiu-jitsu. Ju- they were formalizing all that stuff, and a couple people in LA were, like, beating the crap out of people in order to, like, say, hey, you know, this is our stuff. Um, but um, the Americans mm-hmm. just finished on FX. Watched a little bit of the first season. It's a good show, and the finale was like gut wrenching, and that's a show that went like um, that's a show that kind of tried to get it right, especially more as it went on. Like a couple times during the early seasons, if you like looked up some details, you'd be like, ah, oh, that didn't happen, you know. Right. But um, as the show went on, they tried to be more true to form, right? So I don't sometimes know. on shows like that, they'll be hearing a song on the radio, and you'll be like, and no, it won't feel yeah. right to me because I was alive at the time that yeah. was, and I'll go check it out, and it's like, well, okay, so it happened in um. In Stranger Things. Yeah, that was a huge deal. Like we, But the funny thing was, you could tell that they did a little bit of work. Because it's like, oh, there was a seven-inch single 
B-side of that song that was released in December of that year in yeah. the in an yeah. edition of a thousand in the UK. If his brother was really plugged in, maybe in <laughs> central Indiana. Not, yeah, it's not that, yeah, it's not right. It, <laughs> it was like two weeks ago I had the same conversation <laughs> with some friends and we were like, Yeah, that just doesn't work. It's just technically, yes, it was that year, but sometimes, you know, it took a long time for those songs yeah. to get around. No, so um Whatever. Uh, I like Stranger Things. Yeah, I mean I Dug the first season, never saw the second. Oh, um, didn't dig it that much, so. Well, I, mean, I guess, I. that's just, you know, that's... Were you going to tell me you had a kid and you were busy or something? Yes. Okay, um, <laughs> that's true. For some reason right now, just so we're keeping track, uh, just the way you are, Billy Joel, in my head oh. right now. Yeah, don't know why. but uh, I feel um, like it's commentary on me, so fuck you. <laughs> well, it means I love you just the way you are, Dave. <laughs> I'm here to admit that. Okay, that means despite what's happening. Yes, <laughs> So um, I was born in, on the Sunshine Coast, moved around a bit, went to West Germany, but not West Berlin. And then I ended up in, uh, at some point, ended up in northern New York. And I lived with my grandparents for a couple of years. Um, my mom returned to college. My dad was still stationed in a place where it was very difficult for him to have kids with him. So I lived with my dad's parents. And then he moved out to... Um, so you were a military brat. Not really, because military brats, I see them as people who like can remember a lot of those times when they lived on bases and stuff. And I was done doing that at age four. So um, then I was in upstate New York, um, north of north of the middle of the state. Um, and then uh, my dad moved to Syracuse and he got a job and picked us up and we lived with him in a suburb. And um, that's where I ended up for a while. And I lived there until uh, 2001 or 2002. Did you go to school here. in Germany or were you a little kid? My sister did a year of kindergarten there, and I was too young. Mm -hmm. I was, went to school. I started in a town called Beaver Falls, New York. But you remember being in Germany. I do. There was a couple of things that I remember. There's three memories that I have. All are pretty fascinating. One, I fell off a slide and had to go to the emergency room. Real fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's fascinating to me because as a kid, my daughter's now about the same age mm -hmm. that I... I was when I started really remembering things. So I'm like, is she going to remember that I just, you know, said this stupid thing? Um, and usually the answer to that is yes. But, um, uh, but dad, you said this yesterday. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, the other thing is. Um, there were we, two other things. My dad, yeah, two other things. My dad loved old castles and battlefields and stuff. So we went to a couple of those. We went to one castle where they had like this place where you could go and see where the dungeon used to be mm -hmm. and there was not a door that closed or anything but my dad got on one side of like a, a barred wall and we were on the other side he said i just locked you in and we were both well my i have two sisters we were all like ah, ah, freaking out even though but, the door was clearly open yeah but i was less than four at the time okay yeah so um and then um the other place we went was the battlefield at verdun which was a huge huge like tragic like loss of life during uh World War One, over a million people died there. And there's a place called the Bone House where it's um, maybe it's called that. I forget. It, there's there's a building where underneath they have piles of bones of identified people, horses, things like that from this battle that were just, you know, they just pile them up. They just put them in this building. And uh, there was also some like building with like the names of all these people who died there or were missing or things like that. I don't know. Remembered all that from being four. Well, it's pretty fucking intense you know like to see like remains of people i i, I challenge they anyone. piled that building full of dead bodies and they rotted away and left no. the bones it's called the bone house <laughs> anyway bobby <laughs> want to get an ice cream 
I That's the kind of thing that, no, will, I know, that I will ruin you for life. Yeah, I challenge anyone at that age to see human remains of some sort, or the band human remains, and not remember it. Um, so yeah, and then I was in Syracuse, and uh, I'm Syracuse, yeah, I, I could talk a lot about that stuff, but I, I want to make sure I don't digress too far, because digressing is actually the thing I do. So um, I can edit. Okay. I'm going to cut out like two hours of what we've already done. <laughs> yes. We're here on hour five of this podcast. We're both like super hoarse. So, what? I can't even fake being hoarse. So, okay. So, um, yeah. What's next? I think they make a noise like, like you have to like. I can't. I can't do a horse noise either. You need to co- coconuts together. And yeah. Then do like. <laughs> there we go. Yes, uh, that's being a horse. So I went to high school with this kid who had like two really amazing talents. He could play drums like no one else. Neil Pert was like his favorite drummer, like loved Rush, you know. So this so. guy was insufferable. No, he was actually a super nice guy. Okay. He wasn't like your typical like Greg Bennett Rush fan. Wow. I'm just going to try to throw digs at everyone. But no, um, that man, his main pastime in life besides helping others and being in, you know, bands and whatnot. Who, Greg? Is drawing pictures of him, of him killing you. Yeah, that's so, been talked about. I, okay, on so here. there's a picture on one of the web page. Uh, yeah. Nobody's knows podcast pages of him. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, me. this isn't news to you, but so as your friend, I'm defending you by bagging on him. Defending me against Greg? Yeah, please. Okay, <laughs> he no was the de- first episode of this podcast. No defense needed, my friend. <laughs> that guy's as soft as a loose stool. He juggles a lot of different things in his life. <laughs> oh, he do- oh, 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 ha ha. I don't know what to do. <laughs> okay. So, Bob, where did you go to school? Did you go to preschool or right into kindergarten? Uh, I went into kindergarten. And my birthday is in September. Now, so I was four when I started. Did you know from living in Germany that that was a German word? No, but my sister Is it a German did. word? My sister, bless her soul, uh, my older sister. I have two sisters, uh, four years apart on the same day. So, And I was almost right in the middle of them age-wise. Um, my older sister learned some stuff in kindergarten. She learned to count to ten in German. That's one of the things she lorded over us for like the majority of our youth um, because she just, I mean, it was probably a wonderful, unique experience for her. But but at some point you could have figured out how to do that. Yeah, we did. And and the word for the word for six is sex. So as kids, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> I get to say something bad. Yeah. So um, I went to an elementary school in northern New York. And then when we moved to Syracuse, I moved to another one. And that that building is still around and it's like a office building now, which care is about the building. Okay. I just, I'm all full of superfluous details. So, um, you know that once when I was on tour, uh, the, the band I was on tour with named me, my spirit animal was a storytelling panda. <laughs> Cause we were all, I it was like late at night. We're like, what's your spirit animal? Because like they were listening to coast to coast and someone was talking about their spirit animal. Yeah. And it's fucking like 1am in the middle of Montana. And they're like, Bob's animal is a storytelling panda. Yes. It never gets to the point. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll try to find it in this podcast. So, um, now you, hold on. Okay. You sorry. just, you just sit there for a minute. I'm sitting. All right. You went to kindergarten in, what was it? Beaver Falls? Beaver Falls. And did you finish out the year? Yeah, we I went. I was there until second grade. Until second grade. Yeah. Okay. My, so my you, grandparents were raising me at the time. Yeah. Your grandparents were raising you. You're going from kindergarten to second grade in a grade school with a bunch of other kids that you know. These are the first kids that you're actually socializing with yep. that you can remember. Yep. What was it like? 
it was weird and fun because um, the school was also like a K through 12 it, because it was such a rural area. Oh. Uh, the rural juror. Um, uh, they, um, there was a rural area. So like they bust in kids from like 45 minutes away and there were like, if they were taking us to the gym or like there's some shared parts of the building that all grades used, you would run into like seniors in high school. Oh, wow. Which is fucking wild when you think about the fact that this was like 1982 and those people were like, you know, uh, 20 years old at that point. Like that, just the age gap there was kind of wild, but, um, they weren't. 20 years old. Well, but I'm sorry. Yeah, they're sorry. 18 years okay. old. Well, I mean, it was a rural district. You never know. Yeah, they might have been. <laughs> Lots of lead paint out there. <laughs> so, no, no. Um, But yeah, so these people are like, you know, 18 years yeah. old. And I'm, you know, so they went. can round they, up. They have 13 years on me. So that, so that's, that's crazy. They're born in the 60s. That's just wild. So, yeah. Um, I remember that. I remember that also there was just all this area to just go run around in the woods. And mm. I did a lot of that. And, sure. And there was Jerry and Travis and a bunch of kids that I still like remember mm-hmm. that are probably all like, you know, approaching 40 or past well, 40. Is, and this stuff. This is and, interesting to yeah. me, though, because I always want to know when a person gets moved out of their original socializing situation, mm-hmm. what it like, what kind of effect that has. I think you got uprooted and put somewhere else in the third grade or the second grade. I was midway through the second grade and then I got uprooted again not really too uprooted because we just moved to a neighboring suburb when I was in eighth grade. So, so you had to go to another new school? Yeah. So I moved schools in second grade and in eighth grade. So when I was friends with those kids in kindergarten, first and second grade, um, they were kids, like also kids that lived next door to me or kids that there was a plot of land, probably about a quarter mile from back of my house because there wasn't a grid of streets in this town. So right. um, there was a couple streets and then some people had like, you know, stuff they had long driveways for if you will and um the eatons lived behind us and the zares lived a street over and uh there was the a couple families that had like you know they, they were deep in this town they were just like everyone had like one of five last names or something right but uh um, right it was like a rural hick kind of place well yeah i mean i don't like to the eatons were a cannibal family no 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 they were actually really nice there was a really sure they had to lure overly you. creepy family next door in the sense that the kids were great but the parents were like please come to our church oh please come to our church and they were like that every every like once in a while and the kids like we were like famous friends with them but their parents finally my my grandparents took us to church every sunday mm-hmm. and um they they were as church going as you get to be and and still be really kind of chill about it, but them accepting the sort of structure of church and regular visits there. When we finally took that family up on the offer to go to their church, they were like, you really did that. You don't need to do that. Their church is a creepy church. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> your, so, your grandparents were like, no, stay yeah, away from that church. Yeah, what so, was it? Uh, I can't remember, but like, I mean, were they Holy rollers were they snake handlers. No, that would have been awesome. Yeah. That would be a memory, right? Yeah. I saw snake handlers. No. Um, so, uh, no, when I got uprooted, it was weird because there was all these, like, friends that I had that um, that I didn't really think that I made. When you make friends at, like, that age, like, there's people I know that went to the same school district for their entire life, like, uh, school life. And they have these friends that are, like, super, super, like, intensely, like, long-term friends. Yeah. I have nothing like that. However, when um, when we moved, 
my aunt and uncle still lived up there. And occasionally during the summers, we'd go up there and my dad actually would sometimes bring us up there and um, let us stay up there for a couple weeks. And so I would occasionally check in with these friends. And I remember having this conversation with this friend of mine, Travis. It was a couple years after I'd moved. And it was the summer of 1987. Um, and I remember this because the song that was playing was uh, um, uh, Def Leppard's Pour Some Sugar on Me was the song of that summer for yeah. me. And then my secret favorite was actually Rocket off the same album because <laughs> yep. that whole album is fucking great. Whatever. Um, um, but um, you differ on the late 80s, mid to late 80s. Led I jumped Zepp- one back. Not Led Zeppelin, Def Leppard. I jumped one back, Def Leppard. Or Pyromania, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, you and Bill had an online discussion about this the other day and yeah. I saw that. It's a good album too. For me, the album that was sort of resonating at the time because it was just so omnipresent was that one. And it was everywhere. Like, I mean, you could not go to the beach. This town had a really cool beach because there was like a river with like a dam. And there was this like Mm -hmm. swimming hole that wasn't as gross as a swimming hole because the water actually flowed through it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I remember being on the beach and it would be playing. I remember being like MTV would be on. It would be playing like it was all over the place. So, um, I remember it was like 87. I'm talking to, I'm talking to um, Travis and there's kids. We had just gone to the beach. We were walking back to our houses and uh, or where I was staying. And I hadn't been up there in a while. And there was kids whose names I forgot. Sure. And, and he's like, he was fucking sharp as a tack. And he says to me, he's like, you know, it's because you've met way more people than any of us meet at this point. You live in a place with lots more people. So, of course, you're going to probably forget a few names as you meet other people how old is this kid now i mean he's my age right so yeah but how old are you now uh 11 maybe 10 yeah that's really you're right it was a sharp observation thinking yeah Yeah. no he was one of the smarter people i think i knew at the time and he just was like yeah that's that's how it works and he wasn't was that the last time you saw him no like if he walked away from the scene in your head would he fade away and then you'd be like 10 years later he broke up a fight in an ice cream shop and was stabbed in the neck he was robbing a bank. Oh, yeah, no, that's no. no, I was doing the stand by me version. Oh, yeah, no, no, I get what you mean. But um he he was at a pie eating contest and he choked to death on blueberry pie. <laughs> no, no. Wait, um, oh, sorry if that's real. Yeah. No, so um he the last time I saw him was uh in Syracuse, like I was in high school and he Oh, so he followed you. No, no. He was he, thinking about you a lot. No, he was in town because his dad was running a road race and I was running the same race and uh he was just there. And I was like, dude, long time no see. And he's like, yeah. And we caught up for a bit. And then I went and ran a 10 mile race and couldn't find him afterwards. Hmm. So, but uh, yeah, that's the last time I saw Travis. And in a way you're still running. From all of it. Why do I run? <laughs> Why? <laughs> so, um, yeah. Wait, were you doing the, should I apologize? No, I don't. <laughs> that? So, um, uh, that's what, it, that puts me at, yeah, the mid eighties. I'm in Syracuse. No. Well, yeah. I mean, hold on. That's quite. Did you uh, did you fight when you were a little kid? Not really. This is a uh, a question that comes up in your podcast mm-hmm. a lot. And I like to know about when people if people get in fights. So I was in a kind of a weird spot as a kid. Like um, when I moved to Liverpool, which was the next place I lived, it's a suburb of Syracuse. Um, I had some friends there. Did I have, was did definitely. You have, did you have some friends that, you, that they refer to as the lads? No, no, no. The other was John and Paul, and you know, no. So um. I kind of staked out my spot as kind of a nerd, not on purpose, but over time I was interested in things that kind of gave me that thing, you know, that sort of aura of like, 
yeah, that kid unironically loves to play Star Trek during recess, right? Um, By himself? No, no, there was maybe one or two other kids that would, right? Okay. And the play structure would be the starship, and the planet surface would be there, and, you know, that kind of thing. Go out and take readings with your tricorder? Well, of course. But, so, um, when when I did... I didn't have like the base of friends that I'd known for as many years. And a lot of these kids had known each other a few more years. And those first couple years are super formative. Oh yeah. And, and we just recently, our Ryla, my daughter is going to go to kindergarten next year. And we had to approach our landlord and say, you know, we don't want to worry year to year if we're going to have to move. Uh, Let's do a multi-year lease because we don't want to pull this kid out of kindergarten. You know, we have the luxury of being able to ask for that. I understand that that's not something that everyone has. Yeah. And, we were able to do that. So, cool. um, but, um, but as a kid, yeah, I got wrenched from this one place, put in another. And my, um, situation was a bit different because I hadn't, I didn't have the backstory with a lot of people like moving here. I didn't have like all the, the, yeah. the, the, the backstory between you and Bill or you and John or whatever. But, but, um, so I just kind of became known as a nerd, a very bookish kid. I was always reading and what kind of stuff were you reading then? Usually, and this is the thing, I never read, like, the things that everyone says that I should have read. Like, remember, you should have read Ethan Frome, or I don't know if that's just... <laughs> Catcher in the Rye, man. That was a that was a book everyone loved as a kid. I was I was always... Wait, reading. wait, wait, wait. Is that from... <laughs> Hold on. Are you doing Gross Point Blank? Are you, are you, are you, gross Point Blank? Are you, are you still, still inflicting that Ethan, Ethan Frome damage? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's high school. By the way, yes. You're not high school yet. Um, so, no, I wasn't reading, like, the classics of <laughs> oh. literature... Or was their training. Yeah. But I read mostly at the time I was reading as a kid, I was way into serialized novels, right? You're not going to not let me finish that quote. What? Okay. Strictly Greco. Strictly Greco Roman, all torso. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We could do a whole two hours about how much I love that movie. We probably should. Yeah. It was as if everyone had swelled. You have to say it with her weird face where you can hear her cheeks when she talks. I know. Man, what a fucking it, it gem that movie is. everyone had swelled. That movie's 20 years old, so he would be going to his 30-year high school reunion. 32. It, it actually it actually doesn't. Watching it now, it doesn't look like he's going to a 10-year high school reunion. Those are definitely 20-year reunion people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I never went to my 10-year, but I did go to my 20-year. Oh, yeah. in a Beamer dealership at 28. Yeah. Oh, man, he lived in Gross Point. It's an affluent suburb. <laughs> no one's selling all those houses. At tw- yeah. I mean, it yeah, just doesn't seem right. No, that's totally it's fair. It's a total yeah. 38. Everything that everyone does in but, that is 38. But the people old. that wrote it and made it were that age. Right. So, But they right. didn't want to make it like they were graduating in 78 because the music and the, the culture was a bit different. Although, I don't know. because there's a think... lo- there, there are problems because if you haven't moved on in 20 years, it's more problematic than... Yeah, if I don't know. Cusack is that age, though. Like, John Cusack. Joan, maybe not. I don't know about her. But he was way into The Clash, and he was way into all that music. Maybe yeah, he was a, a lot of things older. about work, but they it just doesn't feel like a 10-year Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so where was I? I was in a dark room. Um, No, so it was... How uh, many lights were there? There were four lights. There are four lights! Okay, so... so I, I became, I was a bookish nerd, right? You were a bookish nerd, but you weren't <clears throat> reading Ethan Frome. What were you reading? I was reading mostly serialized novels. Like for when I was. Xanth. No, no. See, that's the thing. I ah. wish I wish I had done that, right? Like there's a lot of stuff. Serialized novels. Like I was huge for uh, like the first reading I did, like of longer books, chapter books, Hardy Boys. 
read like okay. all of you were those reading Hardy- mysteries. I was reading Hardy Boys mysteries, Encyclopedia Brown. I, lit- I read a whole bunch of that stuff. Sure, yeah. uh, I read a lot of like uh, choose your own adventure stuff. Oh, nice. And did I you do them correctly? Or did you read all the outcomes? Oh, no. See, that's the did thing. Did you do a multiverse version? No, no. I was always, like, following them correctly. Because that's just kind of the kind of kid I was, right? Did you ever see the Dungeons & Dragons ones that they made? They only made two or three where you had to roll dice? No, but that's fucking awesome. It was cool. Yeah. I just played it without dice and just did what I wanted and pretended I always won the battles. That, and that's what separates you and me. <laughs> I mean, I did a little bit of role-playing gaming, but that was usually at lunchtime in school. I used to get the books out of the library to uh, just look at all the crazy shit in them. Your school library had Dungeons and Dragons Public books? Public library. Public library. Yeah. Had Dungeons and Dragons books. Yeah. The uh, artwork. Like the monster books and stuff. The artwork in the original Dungeons and Dragons hardcover books is, it's li- it feels life-changing. Yeah. It, it just, did to it me. Was, it was fucking great. So. Um, High contrast pen and ink. Yeah. So I just read li- lots of serialized stuff. And then I read history books like, oh. But and then I'm the kind of person that like, if I like a thing, I'll read it multiple times. I read lots of books multiple times, and then as I grew older, I uh, I started reading Star Trek novels, and their pocket books was making tons of those at the time. And so, so how old are you now? Oh, I mean my like teens probably at that point. I read Star Trek novels. You really want to get out of this grade school thing before no, I no, ask no. all the questions? No, ask all the questions. I'm just going until you. You ask more questions. Well, I was going to ask about girlfriends, but now you're telling me you're reading Star Trek books. Yeah, no, so no, I'll no, just no. jump right off of that. That, that. that answers all those questions. Also, but so you asked about fights and. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I never really got into any. I was a nerd. So like at the time, the caste system that exists in schools would require that I get bullied. But mm-hmm. I wasn't like a dysfunctional nerd in the sense that like I couldn't I could be social to some degree um, more than your 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 most bullied people, I think. Um and again, I was like a white kid. And so that like I looked like everyone else. Right. So that was definitely like a thing like. But white you... kids get bullied. No, I know. But my name was pretty normal. Like there's a lot of things about me that just made me like blend into the crowd. And so I didn't really get picked out a lot for that. And I was in classes with like after a while, I got sorted into like advanced classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the group of kids I was with for most of my classes throughout a lot of this were just kids who were like me. And it was the ones who were a little more socially dysfunctional, who had other things that people could make fun of that got made fun of more, right? Okay. And so... So add a limp to you and you're screwed. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, I mean, I wasn't great at sports, but I at least tried to participate occasionally, right? Right. Um, and uh, that's not a knock on kids who didn't. That's just a knock on the way kids who bully people work, right? They find the thing to pick... And then they start picking it apart, right? Sure. But we're talking about you back yeah. then when you wouldn't have thought of it that way. And and I wasn't aggressive to like others in, in any way. And I didn't really have a lot of disagreements with people. Okay. I didn't so you didn't get in any fights? I didn't socialize unless I had to, right? And then, but when I did, I wasn't like totally. Your real friends were in the pages of those books. It's sad, but true. Metallica, sad, but true. It's off the Black Album. Not a great song, but still decent. Okay. Um. Where that that makes five songs so far. Oh, it's I'm sure it's more. So um, oh. but yeah, no fights, and um, I mean, I had hella crushes on girls, um, but but they no follow through there. Well, no, I followed through, and they they followed through and telling me to stop being interested. Oh <laughs> yeah, um, in sixth grade I wrote a rap about uh, it was a poem for a poetry class, but it was a rap about I could also make it into a rap 
at the time, like when everyone was just like aping what they thought were the conventions of rap, you mm-hmm. know, and it was like in every commercial and you know, even Rodney Dangerfield had a, a rap that he did. And, and so I was that awkward about it, but yeah, I, I definitely talked about my crush on Ruth. Oh, um, and, what did you rhyme with Ruth? A uh, doof. That doesn't rhyme with Ruth. Yeah, but also I, booth, dude. Yeah. So kissing booth. Yeah. But that was just beyond my, you know, comprehension at the time. Yeah. Sleuth. Sleuth. It's good words. Sleuth is great. Yeah. I just, I didn't have the chops that I couldn't spit fire like I can now. <laughs> there are five great rappers. There are. Dylon. Dylon. Okay. Never mind. So just deep cut that you're not part of. <laughs> yeah. I guess not. Yeah. So I didn't get in many fights and girls were not interested in me. I was very interested in them. Uh, when um, did you start listening to music? Music was omnipresent as a kid, but it was always just like, use a word people know. I, this is the second time I used omnipresent. I, I know, and it made me mad the first time I didn't I, say anything, or maybe I did. I don't remember. Music actually, was, I really like it. These yeah, are music was omniferous. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, music was all over as a kid because the radio was always on. My dad was fine. I was just messing. My with dad me. was listening to classic rock. He had a, like a extensive so your, your collection. Your dad introduced you to classic rock. Yeah, but when before when I lived with my grandparents. Um, the radio was kind of always on and it was like usually just the popular hits of the time. That's why like a lot of that stuff is seared into my like brain engrams, right? And then my uncle... I don't know if that's real, what you just said. I believe that's a nerve pattern type thing. Okay. Either way, my synapses, you know. Um, I'm just going to pull out brain words. My frontal lobe. Um, So um, my uncle, my grandparents' in-law, or son-in-law, he was around a lot because... They had a big garage in this this place that we lived. They had a big garage because we lived in this house that was built like behind a post office. But my grandparents owned the building the post office was in. a lot of details. No, but this is important. Next to it was this garage. And it's not like your normal two-car garage. It actually had been like a garage that people worked on vehicles for like a municipality kind of thing. But it then moved on, right? So it was a larger garage. So my uncle loved working on his truck. And he would often work on it there and they let him and he would listen to the music of his sort of time. And that was a lot of popular early 80s country. So I I have like vivid memories of Eddie Rabbit and Crystal Gale and all that stuff, which is crazy because I didn't really even know that until a couple years ago when like just something random came up in a playlist I was listening to. And I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, Suddenly I, you were taken back to your uncle working on his truck. Yeah. No, no. I do love the Rainy Nights, Eddie Rabbit. Please talk about that. Eddie Rabbit, by the way, was from Brooklyn, New York. He wasn't actually from anywhere country, but he was famous for his country hits. But that was oh, during that. Was that a country hit? Because I remember that from the radio. Yeah. It kind of was a crossover. There was that song, Looking for Love, too. That was a co- country hit. So he was kind of like Wook the kid Penub. rock of his time. No, no. By that's... the way, he became Wookin' Penub. Eddie Murphy, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Buckwheat sings the hits. Yeah. yeah. And and so Bill Baker used to sing that all the time when we were kids. Yeah. Um. So looking for love or what can put up? What can put up? Okay. Yeah. So um. So that was always the radio was always on, and so I, I I loved listening to music, but I never really trafficked in buying or or like collecting music, right? So um. I don't know if I'm using trafficked right. <laughs> Illicitly <laughs> I love, selling music. I love the way you're putting this. This is. I wasn't selling. Seven inch records from the trunk of a car. Right. So, yeah. so what was your first record that you owned? So, I should go back a little bit because I should say that something that's going to be a hot take on this show is that I didn't ever collect records. I have a record collection and it's got some really decent stuff in it, but I never collected records to collect records. 
I always was just about having the music in a form I could listen to. Okay, so what was the first thing you chose to have in a format that you could I listen had a, to? I think I had a CNC Music Factory tape at one point, like in the very early I'm 90s. So, somehow I'm so disappointed. No, no. And then and I, also, it makes so much sense. In the late 80s. Did I, you learn to dance to that? No, no, no. I never tried. I had an LL Cool J tape at you're, one No, point. you're lying. No, I, I didn't try to dance. Doesn't it say everybody dance now? Yeah, and I... I it was one and of the you few just time, sat there still. It was one of the few times I disregarded what I was told to and do. And you like, someday I'll need this. <laughs> so um, someday soon, Bob. I'm assuming the rave days are looming. Yeah, we can get into that. Oh, we will. You, you keep taking exits off this highway here. So um, no, I also and this is going to be a public admission. Uh, I also well, had um probably before that one of the first tapes I owned. I well before even that I was making mixtapes off the radio. Yeah. Of just the songs you, I like to were, hear. Did you have a player that could record right off the radio? Or were yeah. you putting a tape deck yeah. up to a radio? And no, 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 no. I had one of the... My boombox had the ability to okay. record. And they'd be like, coming up next, we got Roxette. And I'd be like, oh, man. Interesting voice yeah. that you've done there, Bob. <laughs> um, <laughs> Where did you learn to talk on the radio? <laughs> so um, I would listen to... Um, I would listen to songs on the radio and I'd record them. You know, I had just these... That mm-hmm. was most of what I was doing. It's like mixtapes of that had, stuff. Bring them to school, and there were like two or three kids that would sit, and we'd li- in the library, and we. You were probably listening we were to way to... better shit. Brian Adams. Oh no! Okay, uh, maybe. No, yeah, yeah, it's a same uh, kind of stuff. This would have been. Cuts like a knife is a great album, start to finish. Sure. Yeah. No, you're not going to get any. Yeah. It's... Any like I won't I won't go up against you on that at all. Yeah. Um, no pushback. My sister was getting records. She was getting like the popular hit records. Like she had a couple Brian Adams records and tapes, and she had a. I remember oh, John Cougar Mellon Camp. Ooh, uh huh. Jack and Diane was yeah. one that I brought yeah. to uh, to school to yeah. listen to. Um, my sister Asia. Oh yeah, Asia had some good jams, dude. It, Although in the 1982 mix that I or listening thing that I did, yeah, the album was ultimately disappointing. Which was it? Uh, the, whatever the album was that they released that year, I can't. It remember. wasn't Alpha, was it? Can't remember because that's a great record. I and I think at the time Prebosk saw my comment about it. And he was like incensed that I wouldn't like the album as much as <laughs> you know that I should have, right? So, um, but um, so yeah, I would tape things off the radio. I did that for years, and then I think I had like I found Mariah Carey's first tape. Like, let's talk about Asia for a second. Asia, yeah. Let's audio so, daily double. So he- name this continent, Asia. The Wait. best, the best moment of Saturday Night Live ever, in my opinion. Wait, oh, okay. What did they so, play music? No, it was Celebrity Jeopardy. Yeah, and it was just one of those ones where like Will Ferrell was like just dying, right? And he's like they're throwing the easiest softball pitches at everyone, and then it's like I think it was one with a Burt Reynolds appearance by you know Norm <laughs> Macdonald, and the audio Daily, Daily Devil was name this continent, and then the way they delivered like the sound sample was just a voice saying. <laughs> Asia. <laughs> and nobody gets it. <laughs> and I just, I like cry laughing like anytime I see it. So either um, way, go on. You want to talk about Asia, the band? Well, yeah, I do. Because maybe I'm wrong. He I'm not the moment, right? Positive. Because I've ever in my head right seen now. the members of Asia. They were a super group. But I'm assuming they're not Asian. No, no, they're from they're I think they were made up of members of Yes or something like that and other bands, but I could be wrong. They were like I think a supergroup of some sort. Could a band yeah. today, had there never been a band called Asia, but everything else was the same, could a band of white guys call themselves Asia? 
That's a good question. Like, there's, I mean, we could diverge uh, from normal things that you talk about on this podcast and talk about cultural appropriation, but like just a, that little bit. Not, yeah, but you know, but we I don't diverge I, a little. Should they have? I don't know. But I should see, they have then? But yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, because I mean, it doesn't make the like people are like, you know, back in the day when you know slavery wasn't considered wrong by most people. You know, yet you know what? There were tons of people who thought slavery was wrong. Most of them were slaves. You know, so like, you know, <laughs> yes. So just because Asia did it back in the eighties doesn't make it. You know, they didn't own slaves. <laughs> the hot take is that Asia owned slaves. The band Asia. <laughs> what no, are you doing? No, yeah. no, no. Okay. No. So I. I the thing what about, about the Asia, song Africa? That's a weird song. What about the video for the song Africa? Bad video. But also, <laughs> let's let's talk about how they're, they remember they're playing on a big book. Yeah, yeah. No, that no, was we like. And by the way, Weezer just covered Africa, and it's a huge deal right now. So I think that the band Asia, the it's kind of nondescript, right? It's just like they point their finger at a map, and they're just like, that sounds like a cool two syllable word. Right, so I don't know that they were trying. You to... could get in a lot of trouble if you were just picking your band name by like spinning a globe and putting your finger down. Well, I mean, or or just opening a book and put like you could really get some bad choices that way. I I I guess I guess they didn't do it as a they weren't like this is Oriental or anything. They didn't try to do Asian things. Right, they weren't sticks. Yeah, what? <laughs> don't stick. <laughs> People who live near the river sticks were so pissed. <laughs> Charon is like... No, I mean, didn't they do uh, Asian stuff in sticks? Oh, Mr. Roboto. There you go. Yeah, that's fucked. And they sing a don't... <laughs> I didn't really think of it that way. Amazing, terrible jam. Um, but by the way, I have a heat in the moment, heat of the moment, because that's an Asia song. That was just in my head, and now it's mm-hmm. Mr. Roboto. We're just, as we're keeping track. Well, I mean, those totally make sense. Yeah, Um. so... um, You were listening to all this stuff back then. Uh, no, not really like seeking it out. It was just whatever was on the radio. And then I had a Mariah Carey tape. Oh, yeah. Mariah then, Carey. So, God, I'm sorry. And then I had her second album, too. Were you real impressed with her six octave range or whatever it is? I was like totally in love with her. Yeah. But not in the way that like people like fawn over divas or anything. I just had like a celeb crush on her, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and like I knew I liked music, but I wasn't like sure sure what I liked. Um, what was her big hit off that record? Vision of Love. Oh. Yeah. I could probably sing every song in that first album. Like, Don't. poorly. Very poorly. Wait, which is the... Vi- was it on the radio, Vision of Love? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it totally was. I'm not going to... There was also Someday was the song. Oh, man, I have, like, high really school memories around that song. Someday was about, like, the one that you gave away will be the only one you're wishing for, right? Okay, sure. Yeah, and then... And so, yeah, I had some awkward high school memories about that. Um, but so I started figuring out music, I started liking music and buying music, but it was always stuff that like was just popular hits. Right? And none of it was, you were never like, you can't listen to that music. No one was telling you, no, no, no. Guiding and, you specifically. No, I think my dad would have loved it if I was listening to anything controversial. Right. Because like I was a real square. My grandmother called me a square. She's like, do you know what L7 means? By the way, they're a great band, but if. <laughs> L7. Your grandmother turned you on to L7. I used to yeah. tuck in my fucking t-shirts and she's like, you know, you like I got this t-shirt as a gift one time and the print went like too low to tuck it yeah. in. She's like, you're not supposed to tuck your shirt in. You're supposed to. And I was just like, the whole idea of not tucking in my shirt just blew my mind and I just couldn't deal. Right. And and that's kind of where I was at the time. Did you I, work out of that somehow? Mostly, yeah, I think. I mean, that shirt isn't tucked in. 
No, I know. I'm noticing what I'm, I want to know where, cause you over the years have described yourself to be as a real nerdy kid. Yeah, I was real square. You told me you would talk about going to space camp. Oh, I did in 1988. Right. Or nine. But I think you said you were too nerdy for space camp. The kids at space camp made fun of me for being nerdy. That's nerdy. Yeah, but they weren't all nerds. Like sometimes it was like kind of a popular place to go at the time. Like I mean, oh. the movie had come out a couple years before, and NASA was like still. So in the you actually, so and... actually, the truth of that story is you got a little cheated by pop culture. Yeah, yeah. Space camp should have been your people. Yeah, it should have been. Like, I mean, now I'm actually a little offended about this whole thing. Like, I've always thought of it as being. I thought it was other nerds rejected you. No, I mean, even the nerdier people there seeing that. I was being cast as the nerd mm-hmm. would work to keep that going. Right? Well, you're again. a shield yeah, yeah. from them now. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah. But again, like it was Sad. never physical bullying. I got made fun of enough, but you're never like, physical they, it's like the second fastest antelope is thrilled you're there. Yeah. Well, there's the joke about the people at the camp and the bears charging the camp. One starts running and the other starts tying their shoes. And the person's like, the person that's running is like, why are you tying your shoes? And the guy tying his shoes or the girl tying her shoes is like, I don't have to beat the bear. I just have to beat you. And so, yeah. Yep, classic. So, yeah, I was I was the one that everyone was trying to be ahead of at space camp. No, so I was nerdy and I listened to a bunch of stuff and I wasn't really quite sure what was out there. And um, I remember there was some skater kids in middle school that mm-hmm. listened to music that I never was really exposed to, but it, their rebellious ways seemed a little bit too much for me at oh, the time. Oh, at first you were like, yeah. not for me. That was nope. that, the first thing that had anything to do with hardcore that I ever saw um, that I can now identify as such um, was a couple skater, like slacker kids in science class were drawing the DRI guy. On like the first ev- thing, the first thing you remember is DRI yeah. was on everything. What do you know? With, on, on fucking everything, they were drawing it on their notebooks, and I was like, "Oh!" And they're like trying to explain what this band meant to them. And I was like, "Cool, that just doesn't sound like something I'm gonna do." And okay, um, but it didn't attract you. You remember I didn't, the I, image? I didn't hear it right. So, um, and then MTV was always on, like, like on our cable selection and stuff. But I believe it was the summer after my, like. Well, I mean, I heard Nirvana on the radio, mm-hmm. and that was fucking mind-blowing. I was like, this song is really good. And I was feeling teenage angst of my own. And, you know, socially, like, all of this stuff, as far as chickens coming home to roost, as far as, like, you know, like, having a lifetime of being the nerdiest dude, but not the nerdiest, like, one that everyone made fun of or would physically, like, you know, want to fight. I was just kind of forgotten by most people. Were you getting bigger? I was getting taller. Were you always tall? Uh, I was starting to get tall. Yeah, I was tall in high school. Like I, I was six two by the time I was a senior, but I was also like one fifty five. So mm-hmm. I was like a strong wing would like blow me down. So um, there was a lot of um, there was a lot going through my head. I was like, man, this music is really aggro, and and then I remember taking "Smells Like Teen Spirit" out of the library and like dubbing it onto a tape. You okay? You actually were getting the music that got you into punk rock came from the library, probably. Yeah, like loan checking out a tape from that the or the radio. Yeah, and then then what <clears throat> happened was I was like at that point I was like when I was a kid in elementary school and middle school it was like it was frustrating to not be social to some degree, um, but by the time I was in high school I was like really like socially not as developed as the rest of the kids because I had no like I mean I sat with some people for lunch and. You know, I had a date to my junior prom and I had a date to my senior ball. Um, but 
it was the same thing as prom, right? But but I but those were all sort of like accidental or like sort of you know they just sort of happened. But I was never as social or I, I uh, as like a lot of the kids I saw around me. I felt really awkward about it. I felt different in a way that was somewhat painful. And then this is like like I mean I started high school in like 1990. And mm-hmm. so there's a concept of this college rock morphing into, you know, sure. to like alternative rock or whatever. Yep. And Things change there. And there was late night on the radio. Certain stations would play like these kind of things. And um, uh, like there'd be like an alternative show or whatever. Or you could catch the college radio station if you tune it in just right. Or, you know, so that stuff started happening. And it started appealing to you. It started appealing to me because it seemed like there was this stuff that like could evoke feelings in me that like, or could talk to feelings in me that were um, both like fantastic, like discoveries, but also resonated a lot with me. Right. Like there was just this idea of, Oh man, this song is like, wow. And so, I mean, I went down that path that like a lot of people did from Nirvana. I found Pearl jam and then, then Alice in Chains, like Seattle scene, if you will, mm-hmm. um, kind of influenced some of that. And then, um, I started talking about that stuff a lot, you know, just cause I verbally process just about everything. And some kids in my hallway at school made me, one of them, Derek, uh, made me a mixtape and it had a bunch of stuff on it, including the first time I ever heard minor threat. Oh, and, so they, you, because you were talking about liking the Seattle stuff, someone yeah. made you a tape with minor threat on it. Well, it had a bunch of stuff. It had, um, two bad brain songs, how low can a punk get and rock for light. It had, um, I think it had two minor threat songs on it, but it also had Voivod and sure. And like um, this band called Sal that was kind of like a grunge band that nobody like really remembers anymore. But that one song was like there, there was a bunch of stuff on it, it had biohazard on it. Um, you know, with that, where is justice? Well, so that was a where pers- is punishment, you know? So that was a person the majority who was of the looking people, for people are- that needed to know. Well, I mean, this kid was... It was like a Johnny Appleseed of a music guy. He's like, oh, hey, here's someone who's I don't know. waking up to a sound. I better make him a mixtape. Well, I mean, I, I can't... You're I, not even saying this was a friend of yours. No, he was... Well, I mean, I guess he was friendly, you know, yeah. but we didn't hang. Like, I didn't have friends like that. I went home and... Right, but you start talking music and he brings you a mixtape. Yeah. And then at the very same time this is happening, and this is important if to Mats know... If Matsuoka was here, he'd make this into a very different story. Yeah. Um, at the very same time this is all happening, I, in ninth grade started running hmm. and I considered going out for track that year and kids laughed at me because I was never the athlete. Right. And then I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. But sophomore year, I was like, I'm going to do this. And if I don't get through tryouts for track, I just probably won't do it. I couldn't handle rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about track was they don't have tryouts. If you show up to practice and you do what you're asked, you're on the team. <laughs> Sometimes there's like meets that some people can go to and you can't. But you're just on the team. Yeah. And that was amazing. And that's informed a lot of my life since then um, in many ways. And we can talk about that. But but um, these two things are happening. I'm socializing a little bit with the track team. There's people in my cohort of classes that know me, um, know me for what I am, someone who talks a lot but is really kind of to the greater group of people kind of unrecognizable, like hmm. blends into the crowd. I'm not socially very adept. I'm figuring out this music thing. And then... I got put in a forced socialization sort of spot in the end of my 10th grade year. So um, I don't know if this mixtape happened a little before that or a little after that, but I go to this science uh, workshop that mostly seniors and juniors go to, but I was a sophomore. I was about to be a sophomore and I got into it. 
I was sufficiently nerdy to go to this this place. And it was a, a college in the Adirondack Mountains, which are in northern New York. They're like a big uh, state park. Um, there was a, a, a nature study station where they like one of, I uh, can't remember what college, but a couple colleges probably had like um, classes that they would do. And there was like a week long gap where like they invited high school students from all around the, 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 the region to go to this camp and learn about doing transects and all these kind of things that are sciencey that okay. I don't do anymore. Right. And, um, but so I was forced to be around these people and socialize with them. And that was really cool and eye opening. And a lot of them were older than me because I was what probably the youngest kid there. And then some of them were way into like, you know, like different music. And then that called to me some more. And I was like, man, this is the stuff, you know, and they were listening to the cure, which by the way, I could never really get into or cocteau twins, which I could totally get into, you know? Oh yeah. And it's um, not a big leap. I just, I find Robert Smith to be somewhat insufferable. But huh, it's, all right, it's, well, it, just go ahead and take the cans off and we'll just see your way out the door. I knew that this would happen. So um, am I supposed to storm out of this interview or do you storm out of it at this point? Who storms out? I yeah, forget. Yes. The interviewer <laughs> like, fuck you, man. <laughs> I'm in your house. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> so uh, whatever, you know, it's not for everybody. No, no. I mean, I don't dislike them, but like, no, you dug, just, there's no, you're not getting out. It's fine. Just, I'm, I did, there's some stuff that's good, but I just start digging a new one. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> In the backyard. And so, um, so the second holds your grave. So this is all happening at this. Then, then I start noticing like the certain sort of like visual tags that are associated with some of these alternative people besides just the skater punks. Right. Yeah. Like. There's the, you know, kids wearing bands that I recognize. And then there's the kids that are their friends that are wearing other bands that I don't recognize, like T-shirts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, forever, I thought that Snapcase was maybe a tool company, like Snap-on Tools. I mean, it's a fucking terrible band name. But <laughs> but it wasn't. And then there was Into Another. Oh, that same mixtape had an in, a couple Into Another Sorry. songs on it. Okay. And I fucking love oh, that God, band. Oh, of course you did. Um, <laughs> and a, it, it, was it was a was huge band in Syracuse at the time. Yeah. And, and all of this, by the way, is undergirded by the f- fact that at this time in Syracuse, there was a huge underground music scene going on, like okay. um, a punk rock and hardcore scene that was mostly focused on the hardcore bands that would come up through New- from New York City. For years, Sick of It All said that um, Syracuse was their favorite place to play outside of you know their hometown. Sure. I mean, shit was wild, and I had no connection to that except through these tenuous things that were starting to connect. But someone invited me to a show when I was a junior. And the whole concept of going and being social and being in that so uncomfortable to me that I didn't even pursue like it any further. I was like, oh, I don't think I can. I think I have things to do. My dad won't let me. Again, my dad would have probably lost his mind if I did anything. It's like he wanted me to do rebellious shit, but I wasn't. Right. right. So so I started like sort of living in this place and as far as with this music. And then I got a job at a diner down the street. When I turned 16, I know two things my dad said to me. Um, I can remember that he said, happy birthday, because he never forgot. Mm-hmm. But he also said, when are you going to get a job? Right. He threw you a pack of smokes. <laughs> and, and the mining hat. And then I joined him. <laughs> I joined him. No, no. And, and, but what happened was my dad was a firm believer in getting a job when you turn 16. Mm-hmm. So he's like, he, that, there was a run up to that. He's like, you'll be 16 soon. Get ready. And then I know that he asked me on that day when I was going to get a job. And... So I got a job at this diner down the street and, um, what I, did you do? I washed dishes. Okay. 
and occasional potato peeling, but mostly washing dishes. But um, there was a cook there who graduated from the school that I was going to a few years earlier, and her name was Cheryl. And she was great, and her boyfriend Eric was cool. And they also listened to college rock because they were that age. And they thought I was like this just fun kid who was really trying to fit in. And they got me a little more than some people did. So, like, they invited me to their house a couple times while they were playing poker with their friends. All of these people that were a little bit older than me. And then this is uh, um, right about the time I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheryl's like, yo, dude, I'm going to go to this club, Zodiac. They're having alternative night. It's in Syracuse. So it's like, for me, that's the city. It's like 20 minutes away. And she's like, I can think I can get you and I think I can talk to the bouncers and get you in. And you should come because you talk about this music all the time. By that time, I was like hunting down tapes and CDs and, you know. Of this was like punk rock and hardcore? Well, mostly mostly still alternative music. I still okay. hadn't really figured out that that like what punk rock and hardcore was. And I knew it had a sort of connection to some of the music I was listening to. But for me, it was still like because the things I was most used to was like the the more accessible things. So I was was buying like uh I was way in a nine inch nails at the time and um there was like uh various uh hold on a second the... and we're back did you let the dog out i did me i let the dog out okay the we finally answered the question after <laughs> <laughs> today on <laughs> on we're not there yet okay so um radio voice off um no so i was into like that kind of stuff that was like like buzz bin clips and stuff like that, you know, and uh, like. And what year are we talking? Belly, Breeders, stuff like that. And by the way, the Breeders, one of my favorite bands to this day. Right. Um, but so you're talking, we're in like 92, 93? We're in the early 90s at that point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The Breeders remain to this day one of my favorite bands. And okay. Last Splash is on an unimpeachably wonderful album. That's on so what many you say. Yeah. And you don't have to agree, but I, I know it to be true. So say we all. Except it really you. helped make those early state skits really yes, good, and it it's did. too bad they were not able to have them in them. So in the end, this music appealed to me. I do remember one other thing. I remember listening to tapes very loudly on my tape Walkman, and so loud, in fact, that I was mowing the lawn and still could hear them. And by the way, my hearing is damaged to you can. To no end. I used to mow the lawn with headphones and a yeah. tape Walkman and, and turn it up loud enough to hear yeah. while I was mowing. Sure. Yeah. So I remember Except I did it with Twisted Sister. Yeah. No, I remember this moment listening to that mixtape uh, that Derek had made. He made me another one, but it wasn't as good as the first. The first one was just so great. There were so many good things on it. Op Ivy had two songs from Op Ivy on it. Like he did doubles of a lot of the shorter stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it had um, Unity, which was so good, and um, and I still didn't figure this out. Like I was like it was staring me in the face that that there was this access to this stuff. But I didn't like parse it the same way that it was all new to me. Everything was new to me. Right. And so, um, you know, Aram sometimes has that conversation where he's like, if the Juggalo family had come into the world at a certain point in my life in Calgary, would that have appealed to me? Right. Right. Yeah. And that's a really interesting question. Sure. Because one of the things that, I mean, hate Juggalos like you might, one of the things that is like- You feel a, like they're lost punks? No. I think that like they, they do one thing that's very interesting. It's a lot about community, right? And community is like very important to me. Like I make communities and I live in those communities or I engage in, you know, sort of joining communities like the community of kids I coach or the mm-hmm. community of parents that help out or the, the sort of collective community of those people or the community of my friends. But for me, the I panda was... panda community. 
what is it? Uh, the what the fucking panda community? Where you learn your stories? Oh, oh yes, my spirit animal. I thought you were going to like on some sort of furry route here. I was like, please don't get me anywhere near that shit. No, so I won't um, expose you. No, that's weird. <laughs> that's that's weird. People can like what they like. That's not a thing I like. So, um, at the time, I was like sort of grasping at all these different things. I remember mowing the lawn and Minor Threat coming on on that tape. And just like it was the that little, this no set of rules speech, mm-hmm. you know, and out of step. So out of step was, yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, man, I, this song, like I just, I feel like I'm close to being there with people, but I've always felt like I'm one step off or, you know, and it really sort of struck at me a little bit. And then, but still, I didn't have the social like sort of, bravery or whatever and the sort of the you know i couldn't put two and two together quite the same way so did, did you go to this show with this woman from your work it wasn't a show it was a alternative night oh and i did and so, so is this is that the, the cross-section of rave culture and no 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 we can get to that so we're i'm still trying to find a place at this point so mm-hmm. um and this would put us at about early to mid 94 right before i graduated from high school okay and then i graduated from high school and, you know, I'm listening to all this music, but I still don't know where it's from or that I could that I could easily have access to some of this stuff by going and being around people. That's a, not a thing I'm good at. And you're just now there's a burgeoning Internet. Oh, it's it's starting to. It's a couple years away. I didn't but... tap into it until I got into college. Yeah, you and couldn't. So... That makes sense because you couldn't. The web wasn't really a thing for a little while that worked for people. Yeah, no. People net, were still dial up. Netscape Navigator. And, yeah. yeah, so. So um, we didn't really do that at home. So um, computer labs at college were when I figured all that stuff out when I first got email, you know, that kind of stuff. But so I'm at this alternative night and I run into this woman there. Her name's Shannon. And we hit it off. And it's like, cool, this lady thinks I'm worth recontacting. So I gave her my number and she gave me her number. I don't know how it worked at the time. And I think that's how it works uh, when you give numbers. We we got in touch with each other a couple of times and. Um, we hung out, um, and this was, I graduated right around the same time and, you know, I'm like, wow, this, this alternative chick really digs me. Um, and that's teenage me saying that, right? So we hang out a bit throughout the summer, just off and on for a little bit. I find a record store up by the university cause I go up to the university in Syracuse to hang out with her cause she lives in that area. And I find more stuff. And I start realizing that maybe there are shows that I can go to, but I didn't still like, she wasn't into the same things that I would eventually become into. And in fact, the first time anyone talked about straight edge with me, it was her and I wasn't drinking. I didn't think, I thought that was terrible. Um, my dad smoked for years and years and years. And I thought it was disgusting. I also thought when I was a little kid that like cancer that he would get from smoking would be transmissible to me. Oh. So like I wouldn't share like drinks or anything with him because I was like, he's certainly going to get cancer from the smoking and then I'm going to catch it. Oh. And, and so I met this girl and she was, she was awesome. And, um, she hated straight edge kids mm. at the time. Syracuse had a very like present straight edge scene and you could go either been around for a while. It had, and you could go either way with it. Like there were people who thought it was overly militant and, you know, um, intolerant. And I mean, I'm sure there were those elements in it. And at the time there was, you know, no shortage of like, you know, the university district and the, the punk and straight edge kids 
and also the various other groups of people who lived in this area. There were fights and stuff occasionally, and but that was stuff that really happened a lot before I you know, became involved. I knew people from high school that were involved with the scene, but I wasn't really, you know, figuring it out. And then that summer, like, I really figured out a lot of it. But I didn't end up going to my first show until I was comfortable with going with somebody because I couldn't go by myself. I couldn't do it. So what was your first show? Well, so there were a couple things. I ran into Derek and his friend at the mall. No. Yeah, was it Derek? No, no. I'm, so, I'm sorry. It was two kids who knew Derek from my high school at the mm-hmm. mall one time. And they were going to a show. And it was some local bands that were metal bands. And I went to that. Um, and then there was one band that did a bunch of punk covers and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is cool. That was your first show? Um, yeah, it was at the Lost Horizon. And there was virtually nobody there. And the Lost Horizon's like and it inevitably becomes like a big part of the story of anyone who grew up in Syracuse at the time. Because that's the place where most shows happened. And then um, first week or two of college, there was a ska show at a coffee shop. And I went to that. And it was like a local band. And they were really a huge deal to me because super nice people. I knew them from the coffee shop and stuff like that and from the record store that I'd eventually work at. And they um, played like a kind of third wave ska, I guess. I don't know. Like it wasn't punk ska. It was like legit ska. Okay. And I enjoyed it a lot. And a couple people that I still know to this day I met there. But the first like show show was there was this like gap without a bunch of shows. I missed an into another show. Um, cause I couldn't, I had to work and then, um, I was bummed. And then I saw quicksand, orange nine millimeter and helmet. Mm-hmm. No, wait, no, wait. Yeah. Orange. Yeah. It was quicksand, orange nine millimeter and helmet. And that place was packed. It was the lost horizon. It was for a long time. They claimed that it was probably the biggest show. And they sick had of it there. all didn't play that one. No, that was later. Yeah. But I saw that too. That's a, a show, but yeah, and I have all these friends that had been to tons of shows before that, but I couldn't. I I was just socially so inept that I couldn't deal. Like, I mean, I'd been listening to Quicksand for a little bit before the show. Uh, I also started getting to a lot of things. I mean, once college started, like I went to Syracuse University, there was so much stuff being thrown at me. It was all so fast. But that Quicksand show was huge, and man, it was so great. They were so good. Oh yes. And and then I got into um, listening to a lot of that Rev stuff and. You know, because it's the label, you know, and then a bunch of other things. And I was working at a record store. Then you discovered Revelation. Okay, so then you got a job. Yeah. How long after high school did you go into college? Was there a break in between? Nope. There was just like, uh, I was 17 when I started college. Oh, okay. Because my birthday's in September. So, yeah, I came to do that. I ran a season of college cross country as well. And uh, um, because I thought that that was my social group was track people and it wasn't or runners weren't figured it out not at the time how does okay so quick quick things you never played an instrument no i didn't you uh i didn't skateboard you didn't skateboard you didn't do any of that stuff i read books and kept to myself right so how did you hook up with people that were going to have you in a band oh and how did you go down the dual paths of hardcore music and rave music oh so I get to college and I notice a couple things. There's these people that live in these alternative subcultures and I dive in and I don't know where to dive in. So I dive into a couple places. Hmm. I frequent ska shows because that was one of the first bands that I saw, but I never, never frequented ska fashion. I just want to want to say that. Okay. I was never a sharp dresser, if, if you will, <laughs> but I frequented baggy clothes at the time because ah, yes. everyone did. But um, I started going to hardcore shows um, all the time. 
And there, we were really fortunate to have a lot of them for a city our size, too. And that you goes back to that scene that had just been there the whole time. And then um, I also was like, some people kind of lived in this world where like rave music was kind of like a thing. And when I went to that alternative night at the club, there was a lot of ravish dance music there and a lot of like New Order and stuff like that, too. Cool. But like there was that sort of some people went electronic, some people didn't. And and so I was just kind of checking all of that stuff out. And there was some club nights and people that I liked went to those club nights. So I went with them. And yeah, so people could find me at the occasional rave. But us in the rave community, we call them parties, right? Why call them raves? Yeah, there's a party coming up, you know. Um, or you could find me mostly at shows because there were way more shows than there were. But you were going to stuff. both. I was going to both. And when then, was the first time you danced with glow sticks? I only ever did that once. Okay, then that's the first time. It was sometime in 1995. You're here to you. You can drag me, and that's cool. <laughs> I'm not dragging you. Okay. You went to a rave and danced with glow sticks in yeah, 1995. But, and and about two thousand people at that same rave did the same thing. So. Yeah, I wish there was a photo. Yeah, I'm so did glad you, there isn't. Did you uh, ever wear like a pacifier around your neck? No, but you did have the big jeans, right? I had a rubber ducky. I just, I just was trying out some fashion stuff. Wait, you had a rubber ducky affixed to you? To uh, to a chain around my neck at one point. Yeah. Okay. I wore huge jeans. That lasted for like two did weeks. Did you have a, do they have like rave names? Did you have like a nickname or was there anything like that? Yeah. It, I got the same nickname in the hardcore and the, the rave community. Raver Bob? I cannot confirm or deny that name. <laughs> so okay. I, I would say that um, both places came upon it at the same time. Okay. But you started making friends in the hardcore scene. Yeah. That was the, the place that, re- one of the things that was really kind of weird. Uh, so the freshman year of college ends and I'm living uh, some friends of mine from club nights and raves and stuff, they're like, we have a place in our apartment. You can stay with us. And meanwhile, I'm also like mostly hanging out with people I go to shows with because those people are like way more conscious, like literally like conscious. They're awake, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't me like using a metaphor to explain how they were. One of the things that really struck me about college was all these people were like in all these classes all day. And then to let off steam, they would get obliterated. And yeah. I was just like, why would you do that? Don't you want to remember this time that you have to yourself? Like, this is fucking great. I can remember all this stuff. Now I can't remember anything, but that's just because I'm like ADHD. But but um, all these people would just get obliterated and they'd feel terrible and they couldn't remember anything from the weekend. And then they'd go right back into this grind, right? Yeah. And I could never do that, right? And so um, then Shannon, the, the punk rock girl um, who hated straight edge kids... You know, um, she and I had not really hung out much past the beginning of the, that year. She also didn't know I was 17. <laughs> she thought I was older, which was cool. That was a neat revelation. She's like, I'm 21. And I'm like, you know, I'm fortunate, I guess. Um, but um, she. Um, What's the age of consent in New York, Bob? Well, it didn't matter. We didn't do anything that would have violated okay. any of that. So All right. so Shannon, um, Shannon's hatred of straight edge, notwithstanding, I ended up being like, you know, it's no set of rules. But it is what I am, you know? And so I claimed that, like, in, like, in 94. Do you um, remember the date? The date? It was date? early October. Early I don't October, remember the 94. Exact, yeah. At I don't a show? Know. No, it was just, like, on my own. I was like... You came to a conclusion. Yeah, and I had to change virtually nothing. <laughs> but that's your day. Yeah, I, I stopped drinking caffeinated sodas. And that was... You the, literally gave something up that you didn't have to. We will disagree about this. Whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, 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 so, um, and I'd never drank coffee, so it wasn't mm. a loss there. So, um, and so, yeah, I know here I am, uh, end of my first year in college and I'm dealing with these people who let me live in their house, but I'm really hanging out with actually sober people most of the time. And when these people invited me to live in their house, it was late winter. And so the party season in quotes hadn't really begun. And so when the summer hit, there were lots of raves and a lot of parties and stuff. I went to fewer and fewer of those and they went to more and more of those and they were not present like mentally a lot. They were, I mean, some of them were sleeping 24 hours at a time. Like mm -hmm. it was just, it was like, cool. Do you want to go hang out? Oh, I can't right now, man. I'm just, I gotta, I can't, I can't do that. I, you know, just still feeling a little weird from last night. And it's like, cool. Then I'm going to go hang out with people that are actually engaged with life. Right. And, and then there was a couple violent incidents, um, including someone attacking me when they were high. And I had a gun pulled on me by one of the people that dealt acid to them. And I was why like, did they pull a gun on you? They pulled a gun on me because they thought it was hilarious. Oh, they had just purchased this gun and they came into the house and I was the first person they saw. And they were like, they just pulled the gun and aimed it directly at me and walked towards me slowly without saying a thing. Jesus. And I was just like, what the fuck? I'm done with this place. I had been jumped by my roommate, like who was high on like some weird shit a couple days earlier. No, no, that happened a couple of days after that. And then I was done. But I was like, this is this is not okay. And yeah, I started falling way off of that stuff. And then the last rave I ever went to was like early 96. And it was pretty much done. Well, that was that. it. I, I had it in my head that you just did this for years and years. No, no. And that's and that's what a competed. nickname like the one you mentioned yeah. gives you. It gives you this sort of sense that like that he this guy still so does So just that. so we're clear, something you hadn't done for a full five years before you met me, you were still being called that name when I met you. Yeah. And somehow it had followed you to a town where you knew no one and were there by yourself. Yeah, well, so th that's rough because for a while, because it was the nickname I was known as, I just used it. Oh, you, uh, you're you saying that you willingly said that was who I was. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't regret it. Like, I mean, I don't harbor a whole lot of regrets about anything, but, like, if I had it to do again, I would have been like, well, I haven't gone to a rave in a couple of years. Maybe I were, should use something else. Were we else. a little too brutal to you when you got here with it? No, no, I mean, everyone throughout life has been, so, you know. Um, and that's fine. Brutality is just in your yes. DNA. Yeah. And there's certain people that I that's consider. Right. That would be you being brutal. Yeah. Well, being brutalized is in my DNA. <laughs> no, no. I think that uh, as a comedic heel, I'm pretty good, you know, for that, for most people. But <laughs> no, no. So um, I don't know. I think that I, there's a couple people that retain the right to call me that without me being super pissed at them. And those are people I've known for like 20 odd years. Right. right. Um, but anyway. Oh, so you haven't known me 20 odd years. Well, yeah, and you don't come from a place where you... And I don't that, call you that all the time. Yeah, you don't come from a place where you were around when I was called that, you know, initially, right? Right. So, but yeah, and so I'm, at that point, I'm just firmly ensconced in going to shows. And in about 97, a couple kids and I get together and start a band. I wanted to do something like Gorilla Biscuits was like the best thing ever for me. I loved it so much. And I wanted to be in a band that sounded like Gorilla Biscuits. And... Uh, or or minor threat right or any of those bands that were fast sure and what what is the music that they're going to come up with sound like and that's what we'll be like I'm, I'm they were sorry. going to come up with the music right yeah i couldn't write music so right so you're saying like <clears throat> girl biscuits or you know these yeah. other bands it just depends yeah. on kind of what the music they present yeah oh i'm to sorry you. yeah i'm sorry i took that I, I took that the wrong way i thought mm -hmm. you meant the people i was in the band with of course i was at their mercy for whatever they wanted to write i did like um in 95, tried to start a band with a friend, and we had two practices in the basement of a dorm. But <laughs> but um, what really happened was uh, Grant 
Audrey, Jimmy, Emmett, and me started Set in Motion, which was a, a fast punk band That's in a right. city that didn't have Set in Motion. A city that didn't have a fast punk band, right? Like there was a couple punk bands from high school kids that we kind of found each other at the same time. And there were a couple like weird and violent incidents at shows that like were bigger shows that really were unappealing to me. And at the same time, like Earth Crisis, which was this huge band that I was like way into at the time, they started touring with bands that like I liked to listen to. But when I saw them, they represented a lot of things that were really like thuggish to me. And that wasn't me. Right. And so I started gravitating towards a different scene of punks at a local community center kind of shows there and uh, that. I mean, I was still going to hardcore shows, but there were some I was skipping on purpose um, and instead would be going to different punk rock shows. And there was definitely a divide there, but a lot of kids went back and forth. Right. Um, but yes, that motion started there. I mean, and and we played shows for a couple of years. We played shows from 97 to 99. Did you release anything? We did a demo and it, it was a four track demo recorded in a garage and it had nine songs. Nobody puts nine songs on a demo. And when you hear those nine songs, which I've been afforded the opportunity to do for the first time in about 15 years uh, recently, um, you understand that regardless of like how good those nine songs were, because they weren't good at all, mm-hmm. no band ever should put nine songs right. in a demo, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, there were nine songs on that demo, and I was terrible. But the music was really good, and the people I played with are lifelong friends, right? And they've gone on to do other bands that I really enjoy. Except for Audrey, she just she stopped playing music after that. I think she was our bass player. But yeah, I mean that lasted for a bit, and then uh, then I went on to be in another band, which was the Gunmen and Flight Paths. Yep. And that was a bunch of weirdos. Like, I mean, there was a drummer who ended up being like he was straight edge, but there was two other guys and in the band, and they were just kind of into different stuff. Like you put out a seven inch. Yeah, we did with you know my. My idea for the artwork of the seven inch didn't work out quite the way I wanted it to. The the person who made the artwork is great and did what I asked, but but like um, could have probably done like way better if someone else had like given him free reign to do that. And um, so it, it's not when it, when you see a seven inch and you're flipping through bins, you, sometimes. It's the cover art that gets you, right? Mm-hmm. That cover art will never get anyone. <laughs> never catch and, anyone. And, and so, um, explain the name. Uh, so the guitar player was way into like bands like angel hair and, um, and I, that was the thing that I was really into. Like a lot of, a lot of like, uh, gravity records, gravity records stuff at the time. Yeah. And, um, and again, Syracuse didn't have a scene like that either. And he was also into just being weird. He was way into like, like punk from a different place than I came into it. Like he was into flipper and, you know, that got him into dead Kennedy's where we could kind of see common ground there. And, he was into a lot of like different weird stuff. And he also was into like, he thought that whole, at the same time, you remember Bob Dobbs, the pipe smoking thing? Mm, Church of the Subgenius. Yeah. He was way into like Church of the Subgenius stuff. Not seriously. Oh, I thought I could pull. Sorry, I just walked over to my bookshelf. I thought I could pull the Church of the Subgenius book out. Yeah, well, he was—he really dug that. He got a Bob Dobbs tattoo on his arm, and he also like found this diagram about like he's always talking about slack. Yeah, well, he was talking about a lot of different stuff from that, but 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 there was there was uh, like the whole Subgenius thing also involved a bunch of faux conspiratorial mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. and there was this diagram of Dealey Plaza, uh, which is where JFK was shot, which had like all these different 
things and it was labeled gunmen and flight paths so that's a great place to get a name for a band oh yeah no it was great and i immediately loved the name and it was all this diagram of all these places people could have been and the planes that flew over to kill john like you know because that's just kind of the way that weird shit worked right so that's where the band's name came from and we played we played for about a year and um it was just wildly different than anything i'd done and that's actually where like i figured out timing and i figured out like my vocal range could be different and i really enjoy listening to that music some of the lyrics i wrote cringe worthy a little bit but i mean whatever i mean i was trying to be more emotional at the time but but like i don't cringe nearly as much as i do listening to my first band right and um man they were it was a fun weird time and we went and we recorded a demo and we had played a show the night before and my voice was fucked. And I remember them being super worried about it. And I was like, I'm so sorry, guys. Like, I'm going to fuck this up. And they they started making plans. What are we going to do if Bob just can't record? And then I get up to the mic because they did everything else and I'm listening. And then whatever came out was just like this fucking raw, awesome thing that like totally just blew my mind blew their mind we were like this is great i remember being so surprised by how it sounded that i like re-listened to it a bunch because i was just like i did that I was... you, then you're trying to repeat it right yeah and i could after that but but like i got there kind of accidentally i was mm-hmm. so nervous about it and um man i fucking loved that recording and that's the only recording that band ever did um there's a live show somewhere we did but um, that's pretty much it. Um, and it was made into the 7-inch. So, yeah. And then... Uh, the live show was made into the 7-inch. No, no, no. I'm the sorry. Demo. The demo was made into the 7-inch. Yeah. You remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe with the power. I don't know why that happened, but power of voodoo. Voodoo. You do. <sighs> dance magic, dance magic, dance magic. So where are we going, man? We're about there. We're about there. So, yeah, gunmen and flight so pads. at some point... And then you become the world's biggest spark likes the friction spark lights the friction fan they got a great their name was from a spana corzo song no not a spana corzo song shot maker song okay. they, they were like that was just friends of mine from my last band plus a it's couple other friends it's weird because i was just thinking spana corzo like 10 minutes ago when you were talking about gravity records I'm yeah like, what yeah. if you liked that band i did i liked a lot of that stuff okay i was listening to a lot of stuff so my problem with that stuff as much as I loved all that gravity record stuff mm-hmm. is and heroin and, and, and you know, the band. Yes. Yeah, so I was just, thanks for, <laughs> is that I always, um, in my head, it was better. Like I, I'd see, I'd see stuff advertised like, Ooh, there's this band called candle. And I'd be like, that's going to be the one that's good. You know, or then you'd hear Mohinder and you'd be like, that might be as good as I'm hoping. Like, yeah. you know, like it's, you're right. It's right there. I just kind of expected, Eventually, I put out a band called Slow Side Down, mm-hmm. which was Bill Baker's band yeah. with some dudes from Portland. Yeah. And that, to me, is what I kind of always wanted that scene to sound like, you know? Some of that stuff, like, in my opinion, got, it could have gone a couple ways. When it was good, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. When it was bad, it could be bad in different ways. It could be, like, overly, like, fashion-obsessed or weird. Yeah. And, um, uh, although, like, some of that stuff I still dug. Or it could just be shitty, like bad musicianship trying to be like, you know, you know, whatever. But um, uh, like, for example, people 
loved this band Orchid, which was kind of mm-hmm. like you could draw a straight line from some of that stuff to Orchid. And I sure. dug a couple early things and then I was just like, I cannot deal with this anymore. And I don't know, like that whole like early whatever people called it screamo ish stuff was like, you know, I started diverging from some of that, but I still love like Angel Hair and Yeah. Um Spanacorzo and Swing Kids. Mm-hmm. That was a fucking amazing record. And, you know, just other stuff like that is great, you know, so, but. So uh, that's where Spark Lights the Friction. No, they got their name from, from Shopmaker, okay. which was a Canadian band. Yep. Um, and, um, but that was a bunch of people who had been in Set in Motion with me, plus one other person, three people from Set in Motion, one other person. And they played something different. It was like Hum meets Quicksand. It was what meets Hot Water Music a little bit with different vocals, right? I mean, just musically, it was, it was in my wheelhouse in a major way. And they were such good friends. And that was such a great time in my life that that band is not only my favorite because I love the music, but it, like it was like the soundtrack to when everything was fucking great, right? And so I can't necessarily separate the two. Um, is their band the most? Does it have the most easy to say name? No. Um, does it like relate to anybody in like real life? We shared a practice space. Gunmen and Flight Pass shared a practice space with them, and one of the big jokes about it. Our bands was that nobody would say our names right, you know. Right. Um, and we considered doing a seven inch where, like, you know, we could make fun of that, like a split seven inch where we did one side and they did the other side, and then maybe the cover art would have different versions of what people called us. Right. Um, but we it didn't happen, and we we shared a sketchy practice space together, and and I mean I went on various shows with them. I was never like their main roadie, but I I rode it a couple shows for them, and um, I loved them. They were great. And that was kind of a weird, wonderful time. Yeah. And that was before you came out, just before you came out to the Northwest. Yeah, it was uh, um, the tail end of that was all sort of falling apart at that point. Like, set, or sorry, Sparklights Friction's last show, I think it was early 2001. Now, was it Sparklights, the Friction guys that also did the sideband that was the... Shirts as Pants. No. Yeah. No, you mean the Oi Band? Yes. No, so that was um, Bayonet UK. Bayonet it was UK. A, it was all the same circle of friends, right? right? So there was a couple kids from Syracuse University um, that had this band where they like they really just loved Oi music and Billy Bragg. Bayonet UK is one of my favorite things I've ever heard. <laughs> no, no, it's great. And they were nerds, like total nerds for like just sitting around and crafting songs. So they would make these songs... And there's tons of Bayonet UK recordings, which are just really low key, like just two of them on a four well, track. You used to play one that sounded like it was the live. Yes, yeah, so I'm getting to that. Hold on. Yeah, okay. so this this actually um, Benny's Boys Live, which is the which is the <laughs> live Benny's Boys Live, which is the live Bayonet UK recording, um, which isn't really live because they're not a real band. Well, they will be in my heart for <laughs> So what happened was. Uh, some of this stuff had been coming together enough where they actually wanted to play a show. Mm-hmm. And so they got a drummer. Can you name some of the na- titles of some of their songs? Uh, Bayonet Your Arsehole. Um, Break Your Head. Um, oh, crap. I can't remember. They a did lot a of Christmas them. record. They did. They yeah. did. I, yeah. was... Margaret Thatcher's Nuts Over an Open Fire was one of the songs <laughs> or something like that. What? Um, the 12, uh, There were two people in the, the band. 12, wait, the 12 the, Days of Christmas was wonderful. No, no. But it was the 12... Um, the 12 pints of Guinness. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. 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 So, um, <laughs> throw a punch at Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, so, um, hold on. There were two people in Bayonet UK. What yeah, were their names? They, uh, 
Mick Jagger, no relation. Mick Jagger, and, no relation. And, and I can't remember the okay. other one. But um, so they were actually going to play a real show. These, okay. And and they but they were obsessive about recording a lot of things. So when the show fell apart because the drummer got like invited to tour with a different band, like and that was his thing. He wanted to tour with punk rock bands. Right. Um, he um he left town and they they had these recordings, and they were shitty sounding enough where they couldn't use them like. They couldn't make a studio recording, but they were like, we could make a live recording of this. Now, mind you, they might be listening to this and think I get details wrong, but this is how I understand it. <laughs> so they started just doing all this like shit where they like layered on their own voices as a crowd. Right. And then they they like they added like banter between songs and they put the songs in a loose set list. They played Birkingham Shireton and <laughs> and and they they had a drunk rowdy clout crowd. They actually took bottles and would clank them together and add that throughout. They they did this amazing work. You so, were in the crowd, weren't you? I was in the crowd for a little bit, and then I was about to move at the time. And they um they invited me over, and I got they they called me in up from the crowd to do one <laughs> song with them, which was "Break Your Head." Nice. So I had to stand across a room and then walk towards them. As they like, you know, just to get the recording track down. And then I repeated the the one line and of I Break dis- Your Head. I discover this by like, when you were living here with me, I come to the to your room and you're playing it. And you're like, oh, listen to this. And it's it sounds like a fucking great sound, live recording. It, it really does. I wish when it was they released. Open, they, the opening track on that with the name Escapes Me Right Now is just so boisterous. And, and you just, you feel like... Holy shit! This is must have been a wild show. Like and if this had been real, this would two be people's dudes a, favorite band of their teenage years. This yes, would have been something that people. It's two dudes in a in a fucking apartment in near Syracuse University, and a and a Mac, and that's yeah. and that's Bayonet the, UK yeah. is one of my favorite bands. Is the song "We're Still Here"? I don't know, but man, it is so fucking good. I love it to death, and I'm glad you brought that up. I hope I can find some to put up. On, on the page on Nobody's Nose for this podcast episode. You um, have a I, page on there. There's a band camp for the Christmas record. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. It's still there? Yeah, and it's it's that was a later thing. They did it a few years ago, and it it is so good. It is. Um, And I listen to it every Christmas season. <laughs> I'll definitely put that up at least. There used to be a page where you could find more of the stuff. And there might be the Time to Operate Records is the record label they, oh, they right. were involved with, and they, there might be some, some stuff up there. But... Fucking a Benny boys Benny's boys live is so good. You still have it, right? I still have it. I yes. need a copy of it. Yeah, I have to. I mean, now I want to listen to it again. But there's me a, too. There's a couple like legit like other songs that they wrote that are just if you strip away all the like I mean those songs are good and they're mm-hmm. even better in the live context. But there's a couple songs like they wrote that are just just phenomenal on their own. And these guys are just great musicians who just were fucking around. And this is like to have that talent and just be like, eh, this is a thing I did. And they just, I mean, I just, I'm in awe of that. And there's this one song and just like anything else I try to do, I can't remember it uh, like uh, right when I need to, but uh, there's this, this great song about um, it's a song about not wanting to be a commodity or something like that. Just the standard sort of punk thing. And it's fucking great beyond belief. By the way, we never even talked about some of the other standard punk things, like how much I love Crass and how much yeah, that informed into... my lo- so, life. And, so, yeah, you, you found Crass stuff. at the same time as Straight Edge? I found Crass a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And then I found Anarchism a little bit later because I was was dealing with uh, – um, there was a big animal rights sort of mm-hmm. thing going on. I went vegan in 95 
and have been vegan since. And we were protesting first orders, things like that. And right. that was huge. And at the time... Oh, wait. You protested a Hooters. I did. Um, you can were, be a little more proud of that now. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was... A, that was that Hooters still got built. They didn't care that we <laughs> they were didn't care that you were protesting. I it. was super proud that when the the newspaper asked me what my name was, I said Ray Capo. Yeah. And so, um, but, um, uh, but, uh, and someone eventually showed Ray Capo that picture, and he laughed. But um, <laughs> no, I at the time there was this huge thing in Syracuse where like there there was an FBI investigation going on, and a grand jury was impaneled, and federal grand juries are like. Like, no joke. No joke, and they're horrible. As we're finding out now about uh, with the Trump administration, and we'll be finding out a lot more. Yeah, but but uh, if you're like a person that like let's say opposes a pipeline, mm-hmm. and you know legal action is taken against you for whatever reason, and and there's a federal grand jury impaneled to investigate your shit because the government is eventually going to sign side with most of the time side with the moneyed interest in that situation. Oh, sure. Um, a federal grand jury is a horrible thing. And um, we had this meeting once of the Animal Defense League that I went to where we had these guest speakers and they were like local activists who were vegan, which blew my mind because I was like, I thought I knew all the vegans. Um, and uh, they were also, um, they lived in a an anarchist sort of house and they, they I met them and I was like, man, you, what you're saying, there's so many cool things about what you're saying. Because a lot of kids at the time, their main sort of bent about being active was this animal rights thing. And that's fine. Like animal liberation had its important spot in sort of my worldview at that time. But what I found interesting was that that wasn't the only thing that was important. And a lot of these kids didn't think that. I don't want to paint them all with a broad brush. But some kids, they were there for that, right? And it was neat to see these people who were about other things. At the time, there was a huge, you know, a huge um, annual protest that a lot of people from Syracuse went to about around this thing called the School of the Americas, which was this uh, um, place where um, military officers from Latin American countries would come train in the United States. Mm -hmm. And they would eventually go back to these repressive regimes and be, you know, using the stuff they learned here to like just ruin the lives of and or kill you know thousands of people and i mean i never got deep into that stuff but but there was a lot of other stuff that people were being active about that i that i i started to see and and i eventually became good friends with one of those two people and was his roommate for a long time and you know this is about the same time set motion was happening and crass like like came into my life at about that time and i was like things were life could be a political thing because life should be a political thing you should be about that right so i don't know and i wasn't and all about of some... this hit you like later in life for when people kind of start to dive into this stuff you mean me relatively later in life than I some feel, people well, i mean because it's i feel like your world opened up in so many ways once you got out of high school it, it was like it all exploded all at once there right. was so much to take in and um, and it's straight edge and veganism and anarchy and you're listening yeah. to crafts and you're going to raves and you're, I mean, you really <laughs> yeah. were just soaking it all up I was, fast. I was at the buffet and I was sampling a lot. Um, but you know, I found what really resonated with me and, and I sort of formed this strict core of beliefs that I, not strict core of beliefs, that sounds really rigid, but I had this sort of thing that the, I The felt, discipline. It's the key to self-liberation is abstinence from the destructive escapism of intoxication. Um, so see, I'm conditioned to know. Um, so, um, um, but no, I found what kind of 
what I became kind of came out of that, right? By the way, is that do you have a to see you broken record just sitting right there? Yeah, of course I do. Wow, there you go. That's a a blast from the past. So um, that's the uh, that's the record release. Yeah, I think special I have. dossier version. Yeah, I think I have one somewhere. Cool. Um, um, so yeah, and that was that. I I you know that brings us to the present day of moving to seattle 16 years ago then you moved to seattle you left it all behind you came out and unfortunately somehow you landed right in the orbit of dave larson bill baker and adam pacey yeah that whole group was awesome and uh i lived in tacoma for with my mom for six months for six months she offered me a place to stay i didn't have to craigslist roommates or anything like that right and then i i immediately like i knew one person here chrissy good Mm-hmm. and um, that's a good person to know if you know one yeah and and that's yeah that was her thing was like she was like the the person who introduced people to other people she became a force yeah to and, be reckoned with and so she was just like you should you should meet these people you should meet this person i think she like formally introduced me to you like ah. in a like a more like formal fashion but but like yeah i met so many people through just being around that group and and then yeah fell in with you and and um a lot of stuff uh, centered around the paradox at the time still. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it seemed like a really cool venue to me. Um, I didn't know much about like kind of the weirdness about the people who ran it. Yeah. Um, but, um, but the people they allowed to do shows there, like, I mean, they pretty much did apparently didn't look yeah, over before it. it became Mars Hill. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was about that time that like a lot of things started falling into place. I found, uh, I started dating someone out here like a few months after I moved here. And then through friends of hers, I found a place to live in Tacoma and I lived there for about a year. And then you were like, dude, was it that long? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a lease, so there was like, I lived so 11 Carrie months. Carrie Whitney was moving out. Yeah. She was uh, my roommate with Jamond. And we were at some show somewhere. And somehow it worked. You were going to move in. I believe you asked me and we were at a show at the, uh, what was the place in Bellevue? that had Ground this, Zero. Ground Zero. I think that we were outside a Ground Zero show and you were like, dude, I got a, I got a spot. And I was working in Puyallup, which for those people who don't know, is like a fair distance from Seattle. Yeah. And I was living in Tacoma, which is pretty close to there. But then I moved up to Seattle, you and I still. You can do it at a trot. You can do it at a gallop. I don't know what is that a reference to something in a Puyallup. Oh. That was the old Puyallup Fair. There okay. used to be a Puyallup Fair theme song that they played on the TV all the time, and everybody knew it. Yeah, people always associated that place with the fair, and they still yeah. do the, yeah. the Washington State Fair. You know, mm-hmm. and and Syracuse, by the way, has the New York State Fair, which um, is Great. huge. Is there a song? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there is. Like, okay. I don't remember it, which All is right. weird because I have like vivid memories of. Just both. so we're clear, you're letting me know that uh, there's a fair in New York. Yeah. It's it's a fair to remember. Wow. So um, back in, go. <laughs> I think we have about ten minutes of content. Like if you edit all of us. You uh, mean in the two hours we've been recording? Yeah, I know. This is weird. <laughs> no, so this is good because we're caught up and you're here. And and then you move in with me. And so at this time I was living in a, a, a house that we were renting when you could still rent a house affordably to some degree in the Seattle area. Yeah, I remember. It was when, a great house. It was fun. A Ram was living there also on and off, yeah. if you could call it that. He didn't. He wasn't on the yeah. lease, but he was there always. It was it was awesome. Like, I mean, just those were great times. And, and it was crazy because, you know, I was worried that when I moved out here, I might not find a group of people. But I, I found my people here, too. And, um, you know, uh, it was 
a great place to live. It was a, a wonderful time. I remember soup capes, and I remember the snow. <laughs> I remember the snowstorm. Oh, I gotta find the soup cape picture. Yeah. Um, oh God. Yeah. Pizza wolves. Pizza wolves. 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 Yeah. And Sorry. then, um, and then. So uh, a soup cape is a is a blanket. a blanket that you wear around the house. Yeah, because it's warm like soup. I That's... don't remember why someone came in and said, "What's that? A soup cape?" Well, Jamond was it. Jamond did he? I think he named them. I, that's that's what I remember. So Jamond was a. You wear the blanket a around a house instead of maybe putting a sweatshirt on. Yeah, and so you've got this blanket wrapped around. There's you. a picture of like five or six of us all with soup capes. Soup capes, yeah. Soup capes. <laughs> yeah. So no, I I it was a weird time of life, and and then that house kind of like I remember now knowing what the landlord was asking for that house when he sold it out from under us and that like I laugh out loud thinking like man that's something I could afford so he did actually sell that eventually that house got sold out from under us it was such a great house it was a huge basement yeah. and when I ended up moving out of the bedroom I, I was never happy in the bedroom like having a normal bedroom in that house so I ended up building a fort in the basement and living in that and it was wonderful yeah it was there there was just there was so many cool cool times had there and then when i think i was there for a little over a year and then the house got sold yep and this is up by roosevelt high school this is like a a, a very desirable neighborhood 65th right now. and 19th yeah. basically yeah and uh man it was so much good stuff happened there and then we couldn't have obviously at the time afford the house i wish i'd kind of thought about it we were it. playing worms armageddon all the time too. yeah that was were great. you in on that Yes. We would just refer to it as having a sesh. Yeah, having a sesh. Let's go have a sesh. Let's have a yeah. sesh. Yeah. And then <laughs> then Michael Ann was like, yo, I'm buying this house. So Michael Ann, uh, who you have heard on some of the episodes of this podcast in the past. Landlord. Bob refers to her as a landlord for a reason. She bought the house that we're in currently. And she said, come live with me again to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had lived together prior to that. And Come we'd live to... with me again to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, should we bring Bob? And she said, yes, we can bring Bob. Like I was like the, the, the pet or something. It's like, <laughs> Remember what it was, but you came along. Bring your kid. Bring your kid from the, your you, last marriage. You came along yeah. and, be, and then there were three of us living in this house here in Shoreline. And then a whole new series of things of reality just started being the case. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much to talk about. We but... had a room. It is still there. It is called the Bro Zone. Well, we called it the Bro Zone. Yeah. So the old house had a sort and sort of je ne sais quoi. Yeah. That that we could we could be ourselves throughout the house, and we were let's, listen. We were more slovenly than Michael Ann. Sure. And and definitely. So, so when we got this, and place, a lot of times there'd just be a lot of dudes hanging out there having dude conversations. Well, I which guess we're not yeah. as bad as you might think. No, it wasn't. But we're not as good as you would hope. It wasn't. Donald Trump bus conversations. No, but no, because if because because at that point, someone in the group would have been like, "You're kind of a dick, man." Yeah, like no. we didn't. That shit didn't fly. It was just not Michael Ann conversations. So to move into um, the funny this... thing was, Michael Ann could handle those conversations. Yeah. She it wasn't other people's yeah. ladies' conversations <laughs> for sure. We moved into um, this house and we had that space and we just renamed that. The bro zone. Right. It was a space which, for you and I. Which is, to me, a sort of weird name now that I think about it. But but at the time, we were like... Formerly okay. known as a yes. bro zone. But we had desks that faced away from each other. So we would sit at our desks and do various things at, at, you know, on our days off. 
and we I'd be facing one wall and you'd be facing we the other. We had a TV at the end of the room. And too. we had a TV on the other end of the room, but when yeah. we were working on our computers, we would start bantering with each yeah. other and we at that point created um, Dave and Bob in the morning. Dave and Bob in the morning. Yeah. Okay, so here's this was our um this is basically how it started. You going to be able to do it? I got to get in the zone here. Okay. I think I'm good. You you're the one who starts. I lead off, right? You do. Okay. I'm putting my hand on the on the cans right now because I'm just like, okay, uh, check, check. Okay, here we go. That was another hit from Ambrosia. We've got some Y&T up next, but you're listening to Dave and Bob in the morning. He's Dave. And I'm Bob. And we'll be right back. No. See, okay, so it wasn't, that wasn't perfect. You <laughs> But I went deep cut for that. <laughs> you you light totally rock. Yeah. did. So originally we would just, um, and I don't remember all the stuff we used to say, but we used to just ad lib as if we yeah. were radio morning hosts. Radio. Man, it is killer on I five right now. If you could avoid that, please take the bypass, cut through a neighborhood, damn it, because you're going to take all day to get to work. Well, I'm sure those neighborhood homeowners really appreciate this advice, Bob. Well, you know. If Seattle had proper public transit, we wouldn't be here today. Oh, there you go, you liberal. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was, <laughs> but the the trick was this though: we would all, it would be you would say your line, which was, "He's Dave, and I'm Bob, and it's and we're Dave and Bob in the morning." And yeah, like it would, yeah. that's how we would go out, right? That's what that was our, like our our ad for it. Because Dave was so out of it, he couldn't remember who he was. Well, just that's the funny part. He's no, Dave, no, I, and I'm Bob. Okay, you're you're over explaining the joke, Dave. <laughs> Welcome to my life. You are living as me right now. No, I would also say that the other conceit of this was that we would you know pretend to put in uh, like mm-hmm. a. Next up is Journey. This is Separate Ways. And then, well, it was continuous soft rock. Yes, it was soft. Well, we, I mean, Ambrosia. Y&T is a little metal. Sorry, I just that's what I was feeling at the time. Summertime Get girls. ready for some Matthew Cross. Matthew, from Matthew Cross. That's <laughs> Christopher like, Cross. Who's Matthew? No, there's a Matthew Cross, too. Well, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> Christopher Cross. Get ready for some Christopher Cross. No, Christopher Cross is... With some, his... Is sweet love his making classic music. classic sailing. Yes. Now... <laughs> There's a story about Christopher Cross that's really interesting. He's not the most attractive person in the world. And when MTV hit, he was huge. Yeah. Then MTV hit, and a lot of artists had to go and be on MTV and be visible. Yeah. And that's kind of when his career fell apart, because he's oh. kind of like a portly man who just looked like a schlub. could have figured it out. Yeah, well, he apparently didn't care. So then we decided that we were actually... Morning, show. so it was one. It was continuous soft rock hits, but we yeah. were DJs that did a show during it, so that was not yeah. continuous. Well, I mean, but that's a tagline radio station. Totally. All the time, so. And then, then we decided that what it was was that we were a um, we were a popular radio duo. We were who hated each other, fucking couldn't stand each so other. So when so we would go what, when you put the record on, we would then just start viciously Attacking needling each other, and then when the record was over, we'd pop right back into the banter. Yeah. I, I mean, and I'm not good at like making up no, at the time, virulent banter. Just imagine it. it was, By the way, that's my new band name, Virulent, virulent Banter. banter. <laughs> <laughs> so that was our that was our morning show. I, I don't know if I those really are wish words. we had made a, a short film about it because I totally wanted to go in and get like a radio. Well, booth. you know, there was like Mark and Brian and they had their own TV show for a while. Where Mark they, and Brian. Yeah, they were like a huge deal. Like, I used to listen to Mark and Brian. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there was Love Lab had like Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and Love Line. Lo- 
that what I said, Love Lab, Love Lab, Love Lab is is the singles part of the Stranger. Okay, um, I'll take your word for it. I, that's how I met Jenna. That's how you met your wife. Yeah, you have a child because of that. Yeah. All right, I'm into it, but not because of Love Line. Well, Love. you probably got some good advice from the Ace Man from Ace Rockola at some point. No, he I probably. Did not. <laughs> no, you don't think he gave you some good? No. Yeah. No. So, um, I mean, come on, he told you. <laughs> he said a lot of things. <laughs> So, um, no, but I remember, um, I remember that Dave and Bob was one of just a many different things. Living with Dave Larson, by the way, is a wild ride thematically, uh, oh. stylistically, um, well, just like different. Like, I mean, you were writing a horror movie one day, you're, you're writing something else the next. That's true. You know? And you never know what I'm going to hit you with. It's a, or- yeah, it's, I mean, I, here's the thing. I'm sitting in a room right now with with the writer of Snake Fighter, The Legend of St. Patrick. You are, yeah. And Z-Rex, the zombie T-Rex movie. Both available on Amazon. Yeah. And, for Kindle. And so, but I, I mean, this guy also dealt cards. And I was a, ran po- a poker dealer. Ran a record label. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. um, so there was a lot of things going on. One day I just stuck a uh, Ladysmith Black Mombazo ad on your desk. And, yeah, that was just, it was there. I still there. have it, yeah. It's because, way, it's because you love Lady Smith, Black Mombazo. I would say that I had never heard them before, and you were but like... But you had. You had seen... Uh, well, actually, I had, because they, they backed the Graceland album. Yes. But you had seen that ad, and you were like, this band that looks nothing like anything you listen to would probably be something weird to stick to your desk. The reason and, was because we had watched Mean Girls, and when she says oh, she's shit, not yeah. going to go with her parents, her mom says, you love Lady Smith Black Mombasa. Okay, yeah. and, and so, so that was just something I like to say. And, and I saw they were playing in Seattle, so you had to get the ad. They're actually a remarkably good band. Hell yes. Um, I'm, and, t- I'm totally and fine it, with that. And it was at about the time, you know, you had all the streaming music services happening. So I was able to go listen to them. So Totally. Yeah. But uh, um, And then you were doing, see, you're saying it's, it's crazy living with me. You're doing stuff like you're walking around the house taking photographs of yourself from different angles and creating composite photos as if you live here with a group of other Bobs like that Michael Keaton movie, Multiplicity. Yeah, so I I recommend that everybody in their life should spend a couple sessions with a therapist and talk about their shit because it's super important. But... Like, I don't I, think that's what this is, Bob. No, I know. No, no, no. I, but I have done that, <laughs> okay. you know. But at the time, I was like, I was fortunate to be around people who really gave a shit about me in a lot of different ways. But I wasn't doing as well as I think I wanted to be at the time, like 2005 or six. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had some dating misadventures. You but, did. Um, and I cared a lot, but not creepy a lot, but I still cared a lot. And when those didn't work, you know, I was sad. And uh, I didn't really internalize that so well, but but whatever. I at the time, uh, I spent a lot of time by myself, with, you know. And living here was great because I was forced to like if I had lived on my own, I don't think I would have been able to cope. But eventually, you would come home, or Mike Land would come home, and then I'd get out and go to a show or something. But there was a lot of time I just was by myself, and. You would you would force me to be social with others, which was great because I don't know that I would have. And um, I look back on that as like, oh, there's all these great social moments I had, but that's only because like I had people that sort of I don't want to say expected it out of me, but like that's just what we did. 
But if they hadn't been around, especially you hadn't been here, I don't think I would have reached out quite the same way that I did to people. And I worked at a place and I tried to be a little social there. And then I live, I mean, I spent a bunch of time you by myself. You worked at Best Buy. Yeah, I did. Is that okay to say that? Yeah. I like to refer to it as a retail place that I once worked. A retail place where he once worked. I worked at there for over a decade. But but um, those pictures that you talk about, it's like I I was at home and I was like just trying to kill time. And, and I just took a bunch of pictures. I was like, wait, if this is how my brain works. I'm like, I've seen people do this thing in movies where like the actors on both sides of the frame... I've got a digital camera now. I can do this. And this is just where my brain went. And so I sat on either side of a couch and then took two <laughs> pictures yeah, and then split it in half and then just tried to line up the, like the yeah. shit there. And, but my, the, the, the coup de gras was like, was when I got three of me into one picture, <laughs> one at the stove, one at the sink and one walking by in the background. Yes. And, and I had no like Photoshop knowledge. I just was making vertical lines through the photo. <laughs> You're doing a great and, job. And, and, and just at the right spot. But I look at that photo and and I we can post it or whatever. Um, that was the product of a guy who was spending way too much time by himself. Oh, so it's and it's way more sad for you because we were laughing it about it at the time. It is, and 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 it is because throughout my entire life, uh, up to that point I had this on again, off again relationship with running. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was the first social stuff that I was doing in high school and it was it was um I did it a little bit in college and then I sort of fell out of it, came back into it, fell out of it. And I got into sort of being, uh, I started lifting weights for a while. And right about the time that we moved in here, I was lifting weights still pretty regularly and running a little bit. But then at one point I was like up to about 220 or so pounds, which is. Oh, you, you were doing a real like weightlifting regiment for a yeah. while. Regiment, like where it was, it was amazing to see it because you're also seeing how much food you were taking in to do it. Yes. And that's, that's, I came to this point where I was like, man, if I, uh, um, if I don't continue to lift weights and I continue to eat as much as I'm doing. Oh yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Then, then that's just, I'm not going to lose any of this weight. But you and became a big dude. I was, I was about, I think 220 pounds. And, uh, that was kind of a weird time in my life. Cause I didn't notice that quite the same way everyone around me did. Because as I said, I was 6'2", 155 in high school, mm-hmm. you know. And then um, at about that time, uh, when those pictures were taken, I was like, there was a lull in my mood. And I also stopped working out. Mm-hmm. And like none of my clothes fit right anymore. And in that picture, like I'm wearing the equivalent of sweatpants, essentially, because <laughs> it's the only thing I was comfortable in. And I was like really bummed about that. And it was about that same time when I was working with someone who coached a track team and we were talking about track one year. This was 2005, the first time he approached mm-hmm. me about it. Um, he ran track in high school. He was a couple years younger than me and I'd run track in high school. And we were talking, he's like, you know, I coach jumpers and sprinters and I'm not really great with the distance stuff. You ran distance in high school. How about you come help me out? And I was like, oh no, I couldn't possibly do that. Uh, helping kids doesn't seem like it's in my wheelhouse and I turned him down, but he came back to me the next year and it was right then that I was like at this sort of emotional and sort of physical sort of like, uh, nadir, if you will. Okay. Low point. I will. Normally I don't even allow if you will, but I will in this case. (laughs) And, and I said, sure, I'll come. He approached me. He's like, I'm still need a distance coach. And I went to the school and I helped out 
And I helped out for a track season. It was fucking great. And I started running again. And I felt a certain way about myself that I hadn't felt in a while. And then, I mean, so much shit started happening. And about the same time, uh, the last band I, I was in started. Um, that was early 06. So right about the time when I'm trying to figure out this funk I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wait. So that's the, the helm. The helm starts. Yeah. And so um, it had kind of come together. And um, again, this is a product of people forcing me to st- still kind of be around. Yeah. And um, I was like, yeah, I kind of want to be in a band. Talk about the helm. Well, Tim Trust was in it. Um, and I wanted to start a band with Tim. And he and I would occasionally, for years. Who had been run. in Left With Nothing. Yeah, for years. I just And Own Heart. Yeah, and he was in another one. Um, Earth Control. They became. Yeah, but no, but he was right? in a Do band. I have the right names? Yeah, he was in another band that was like longer songs, kind of medley band. I can't remember their name right now. Hold on, I'll have it in a second. They were Tacoma Kids, but the, um, the, the Divin- Divinity of Truth. Divinity of Truth. Yeah, yeah. I also didn't really <laughs> believe his last name was Trust for a long time. <laughs> But, but then I was like, my last name is Swift, and a lot of people don't believe that sometimes. So. Right, because you're a running coach, yes. and they're just like, fuck you. Yeah, and so so what happened is um, Tim and I had been talking off and on for years about being a band. And then I ran into Ryan Murphy uh, at shows and stuff. And this is a huge deal to me because Ryan Murphy is like the drummer from Undertow, and Undertow was a big deal to me. And uh, like he's kind of a celebrity to me. He's just like your bro. Yeah. And and um he's moved back into town at about that point. And he might have been in town for a little bit too, but he started coming out and around more. And he was trying to start a band with Tim and Ben Colton was involved somehow with some of these talks. And I realized, you know, and then probably some of them realized, why don't we just make this all into one band? And when he did his interview here, he said some really great stuff that I couldn't be more proud of, like that if he was still in a band it would be that band. Nice. And but he also talks about how like some portion of what the helm once was uh practiced a little bit and then then it sort of really came together late 2005 early 2006 and then um which was good cuz I remember having some days where I couldn't like remember like what I did that day. I was just like this is like what did I even do? You know, Mike Land sometimes goes to France, so if she wasn't here and you were busy like it's just like Oh crap! I just had a day that I don't remember. Like, and it was like, um, and like if other people aren't seeing you, you don't exist. Well, it's weird. It's the tree falling in the forest. It wasn't so much that, right? It's not like that. My ego was like, I don't exist because no one's acclaiming me. So you mean, me. Bob? You can verify the sound because if you're there, it's the same as no one being there. No, it was like the things were so fucking monotonous and unbearable okay, at sorry. that point. So, but but like, um, so we started this band and at the about the same time I started being a coach and shit just started getting pretty crazy. And your life turned around for the better, even though it wasn't that bad. No, no, no. It was but kind I, of in your head. No, I know. But I don't, I mean, I think a lot about like kind of, you know, uh, the friends that I have that have had depression and things like that. And I'm wondering like how much I was affected by like either like my own anxieties or depression or anything like that. Um, but I don't, I don't want to claim that I had like medical depression, but like there was, there was definitely some days where it was like, I mean, this is terrible. What is, what is going on? But, but you know, yeah, shit just got pretty amazing. I mean, the helm ended up being this 
fantastic band and we got to tour a bunch and Murph was in the band for a while and then he moved and then we got Jeffrey and then he played drums. Uh, we put out a number of releases. We put out a demo, which then became a seven inch. There's a cop song somewhere and we have two full length records. Um, uh, yeah, we were, I would say we were fortunate. I mean, uh, and I was also, I couldn't, I, I've been really lucky to be in bands with people like that. I've always like in awe of their musical ability. Um, even the crappy punk band that by the way, it was crappy because of my abilities that I was in, um, was made up of great musicians who essentially were playing down to be in a band with me. Like, you know, um, but probably didn't realize it as much at the time, but I was not good, but maybe they didn't know what good was like in the yeah, same way. You don't need to so, downgrade yourself yeah. this much for this. Come but, on. but it, in, in gunmen and flight pads that just came together in such a great way. And then the helm was like, yeah, it was awesome. I was like, I could not be more thrilled with how that turned out. And cool. And, and then you got married. And then um, made the mistake of making you my best man. And then, <laughs> then there was a kid. There and, was a kid. And that's when I quit the helm. Thank you for that. Was very nice of you making me your best man. It was. It was the one of the, one of the best men. It was. Well, I mean, you were you were the official best man. Okay. There was a wedding party of th- two other guys, right? Tim and Ryan. And man, there's just so many things that like I've talked poorly about, and so many things that I haven't talked about in this. Well, what it was, so we have so, to get to the end, yeah, because yeah. we're going to be a long episode, and that's fine. It should be. <sighs> but what um what things haven't we talked about? That you want to talk about? Man, I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, I'd still be in the helm if I could. Like, but I just I didn't want to short the band. They were still writing really good stuff, and I was like, did they go on without you for very long? They still kind of exist. They oh. haven't broken up. So you could just saunter back in sometime. No, no, no. I wouldn't. They have another I, singer. I would never presume to do that. No, they, they, they're a three piece now. Um, you would never presume to do that. It's not my band. It hasn't been my band for nearly five years. Okay. My daughter was born. I'm coaching. There aren't um, hard and fast rules about this stuff. You could probably sing for the helm if they wanted you to. Oh, if they asked me to, I could occasionally do that. But oh, I wouldn't say you, st- you just tell them they have to. No, that's what I took it to mean. I was like, you could just walk into their practice and grab a mic and fuck you guys. I'm back. It's like it never stopped. I don't know that they um they actually practice that much. They play occasional shows a couple times a year. Cool, but uh, um, uh, they're just waiting for you. It was weird to see I them don't without. Know if that's true, but it I'm was just... weird to see them without me. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, that... It's like taking two steps forward and turning around. Are you making fun of me in some I'm kind of in a way. If you're okay. the singer, you just step into the crowd and turn around, and that's what it'd be like seeing the yeah, band but, without you. No, but it's it's not like taking two steps forward and turning around. It's like being separated from something that like really meant a lot to you for a long time, and then... God, I'm just... I'm not, I wasn't trying to make man, it like a... <laughs> something so like emotionally devastating. Well, I've always been known as a good man and thorough, and I'm trying to be thorough about this. A good man and he's, thorough. He's a good man and thorough. Sorry, I just that—that's what comes to mind right that's now. That's what you used to say to your new drummer. Yeah. No. Um. So, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's not the new drummer. He's been in the band forever. The he was the new drummer at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm lost. Well, so she says he's a good man and thorough to Jeffrey. Oh, okay. I get that now. I the dude is. The I always dude, know him as the she, dude. But Maud calls him Jeffrey. That's fair. She calls him Jeffrey. Jeffrey, right? Yes. 
And so then I went, oh shit, that was the oh, fuck. Yeah. No, no, I get it now. It's just it's, it's a heavy. No, we're explaining the joke again. Yeah. Welcome to my life. <laughs> it wouldn't really be. A- if you've gotten this far podcast. in the episode, you sh- you know that I digress a lot. But Dave digresses a lot. <laughs> but but yeah, he, one of the things podcast, that makes this podcast is that Dave can digress in interesting ways. I've not done as much of that. So, um, <laughs> come on. Furthermore, uh, let's talk about things we didn't get to. Oh yeah. Um, um, what should we? Uh, when I became a dad, I said to the band, "I had a lot going on." Yep. Sorry, I tapped this mic cord here. Um, I I I don't want to hold you guys back. They already like the. Right before my daughter was born, they went into they went on a tour without me, so they were prepared. Yeah, and so I left the band, and um, I, I had a job that like was much better than my retail job, and I had a new daughter, and coaching informs my being in a way that's just like so like intense and wonderful that I couldn't compromise on that either. So I left that and uh, um. You know, I miss it a bit, but but yeah, I mean, they're, you know, I mean, that was the time. I mean, two U.S. tours. I mean, some wild shit happened. Um, not in the sense that like it was like wild rock band stuff, but like I mean, we were far away from Seattle, and our our bass player quit. And, you know, like I mean, very very different things like that. And it was a life that I'm glad I got to do. And I wish, you know, there's the old adage that when you're on tour, you want to be home, but when you're not on tour, you want to be on tour. And sometimes I wish I could be in a van driving around the country, but then, I mean, have you met my kid? She's fucking amazing. She's awesome. And, um, uh, you know, I just kind of want to be around my family and I want to be around my school family of all these kids that I'm coaching. I couldn't compromise quite the same way that I used to be able to when I was, you know, had none of that. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about, uh, a couple things, um, there's a lot we didn't talk about that would not be appropriate for podcasting. Number one, um, sure, because uh, I am the funniest person in the world, and <laughs> sometimes um, when you were uh, living here, yeah, we were um, the funniest people. Yeah, but uh, no, um, uh, I think that you know I got to say that um, yeah, there's just too much to to think about. I would say that I don't know, like I mean, I shit, I I feel like there's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about, but like unlike a Greg or a John or something, like. I don't know if I'm worth an episode two, but I would say, um, oh, this is a, oh, you're making a play for an episode two. No, I'm not a, making a Bob Swift check in. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Those guys are known by people as people who do things like <laughs> I. you could check in with me about Metro League cross country statistics and I can be like, yeah, this year it looks like good for a girls team. Two straight state meets, you know, like, I mean, and that stuff I could talk a lot about. I but feel like I would would want you here for another type of podcast. I would gladly come podcast with you again. But um, it's we'll weird do that, that improv podcast. It's weird to be in what was once my bedroom. It seems much smaller than it was at the time. Well, that's because I've piled tons and tons of crap in here. Yeah, and 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 I got to say the time that I spent in this house was you know like extensive. It's the place I think that I've lived more than any one other place in my life. Up until recently when, like, uh, with this lease that I just signed at my current place, we'll be there for a long enough time where it'll be more. But, I mean, just what a time. What a time. I mean, it's so many great stories, but, I mean, we just kind of went on a different journey. I mean, I we didn't talk about how Aram uh, took me on tour with, with Champion at the time, and that's that's how the helm got out there is because he said, bring some demos. Yeah. You know? And then... Um, and we went to Vegas for his wedding. 
Yeah, two weddings in Vegas I've been to. <laughs> I've been to remarriages for both those people now. <laughs> so, um, and then, um, I mean, there's just a lot of different stuff. But I, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm honored that you would have me here. But I don't know. I mean, is there something you feel that we missed that we should talk about? Oh no, I think you talk too much. I I feel self conscious about that all the time. So Ooh, thank okay, you. Okay, okay. Here's the thing. I, I, I mean, I knew you'd understand it was a joke, but I thought I didn't quite expect the real hurt to like come through there a little bit. Cuts like a knife. <laughs> Bob. Yeah. No, no, no. So I mean, yeah, I mean, man, there's just some good stuff. I mean, I put I, you off for a while because I said I wanted to do podcasts that covered earlier years. I think yeah. you're one of the first podcasts that really covers a more 90s centric no, there've been a couple, but I knew those people further back into the nineties than I knew you. Yeah, but it, it was weird. It was the 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 thing I'm most proud of ever having done in my life is actually getting off my ass and moving. Oh, here, it's, yeah, it's not a thing that if you knew me, you would know that I would take a risk on. Well, Bob, those of us who have you in our lives now because you did that are better off for it. And I and I and I appreciate that because I mean I mean it's a a varied and wonderful cast of of rogues um and oh yeah you yeah. fell into some real freaks dude come on yeah so but um but i mean there's a lot of different things but i don't know the conversation didn't go that way so whatever man it goes the way it goes yeah you're at the helm you know i didn't come up with that band name <laughs> it seemed like you, well everyone at the time thought it was a star trek yeah I, th that was the tim came up with the band's name and he says he comes to practice he's like what if we call this the helm and at the time i had this 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 very hardcore sounding name in mind, um, and um, he comes to practice and he says, "What if we call it the helm?" And I'm like immediately like, "Why would you do that?" He's like, "It's where you steer the boat," and it was so simple and so like like the the concept could go so many ways with that. It's just like, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. The thing I don't believe and, about the story you're telling me right now is when he said, "Why don't we call it the helm?" That you didn't, your brain didn't immediately just go Star Trek crazy. No, I did. I said. Yo, dude, you realize who's in your band? The moment we call it that, people are going to ask why we don't have like themed shirts or something. Bob, true or false, you have Star Trek officer insignia tattoo on your neck. I have J I have my my boy JLP's rank tattooed on my neck. What is Oh, really? Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard's yeah. rank, is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. Is that the only Star Trek tattoo you I have, have? Two others. You have So you have 3. I have with 3. I have the the uh the SETI eel, the ear creature from Star Trek 2, the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Uh, generally accepted by me to be the best movie ever made, um, <laughs> and then I also have um, I also have a tattoo for my first band, which is just the font is is Starfleet bold extended. It's the it's the it's the oh, font that. they put on starships, <laughs> so, and it's the ship it's, designation, it's, 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 right? Yeah, it looks yeah. It's the it's the same numbers. It's just the numbers for S I and M for my first band, and oh. and they're around my wrist. But the font is Starfleet Bold Extended, which is what you would number a starship. Do in. you have a severed hand clutching a bloody envelope? I do. But that's that was <laughs> that was a Ram tried to get someone to get that tattoo for years. Ah. And he's and here's the deal. Like after a while that became kind of like this it's like I need a little spot filled here. <laughs> then it became more than a little spot. Right. And, but but it just was I at the time was getting tattooed by an artist who was also into weird shit. So like like when I went to that guy who still tattoos, um, he's up on Capitol Hill and I can't remember the name of the place he tattoos. Eric I, but he's into weird stuff. Like I was like, hey, can you 
tattoo this phone on me. It needs. Bob, to be... I think he did my tattoo. Which one? I've got a, just one family and three X's around my ankle. Yeah, that must have been way before. Yeah. Yeah. But he um he was maybe at Mind's Eye Tattoo. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's why he's Eric I. Yeah. But he left there way before that place closed. Yeah. And either way, he um he like I was like, Can you tattoo this phone on me? It's like, sure. And then he draws up this phone and it's a rotary dial phone and it's got, you know, tusks and horns. And I'm like, why? He's like, <laughs> I was just going with it. And it's like, okay, cool. And and so there's different things that are weird about him, but um, the surreal idea of this like severed hand holding a bloody envelope, you're like, what's in the envelope? You know? Nah. It's... Why is it covered in blood? <laughs> you know? And so it just was. It was just an interesting idea. And then and then I was like, oh, and I have the perfect artist for it, and he's the guy who's been tattooing tattooing me for a while now. Tattooing <laughs> you. <laughs> is that what you? <laughs> Babies on Tatooine Tatooine from their mothers. What? Weaning is when you stop nursing and you start eating solid oh, foods, God. right? I, yeah. yeah. Okay. I feel better about every joke I've made that hasn't landed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> not, not, I don't mean in this session. Can you just add, I mean, I know we, <laughs> we talked <laughs> about adding music and how it's copyrighted, can, but sad trombone can't be I think we can just make a... <laughs> <laughs> don't laugh during it. <laughs> This is going to be what episode <coughs> thirty-one, right? <laughs> Stop laughing during the sound effect, Bob. You should just name this. <laughs> now I can't do it. So you should just name. I don't the know episode. what number it's going to be because there's actually others in the can that haven't been released yet. Okay, it's going like to be the... a little while before this comes out. I like Bob. this. There's a physical can where these live. You should just have a can where these. Just memory cards are in it. Or something. I should save everything to a, some sort of a external media and put it in a can so yeah. that I'm literal. Yes. So um, you should. The title of this episode shouldn't be my name. It should just be Sad Trombone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take you on a painful journey, oh, folks. I don't. Yeah. Your your impression is always. I always think it's funny. Like the funny thing is, I lived through all those things that you talked about when you were living here in the house mm -hmm. and you describe it. I think you remember pain. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. But you had a lot of good times. Oh no, I had a lot of, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to paint my, there was time a lot of laughter and joy in that time no. that you're talking about was so sad. And there like... was a part where like, it was because that, that stuff was like, because, I, and, and I, I said that earlier, I, I was in a spot where my friend's, didn't force me but it was like it was like i was around people who supported me if i had been living on my own i don't know where i would be right mm. like i'm not saying i would like have taken my life or whatever but i just had so much support and like you know genuine like feelings of awesomeness from you guys that i couldn't like i couldn't get too bad you know so that's why i'm i would never claim to be like medically like depressed or something probably because the people in those situations that's that's much tougher for them so all right i get you. let me try this one more time okay <laughs> he still laughed <laughs> it's the headphones it's because i can hear just how sad that sad trombone is i was just trying to get to drag out a little bit at the end you know yeah. 
All right. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming out here today and doing this. It's been no problem, Dave. Um, I'd like you guys to to know that you can see me next week at the Emerald Queen Casino. I'll be playing with Keith Sweat, and it'll be a good time. And I'll be at the Tulalip Indian Casino, nowhere near Bob. <laughs> that went somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume that we haven't been on the same show for a long time. Oh, now. you mean Dave and Bob? I was just I I wasn't in the character of Bob from Dave and Bob. You were a different character that had just, to do with... You do talk shows when they're like, what are you doing now? What are you up to these days? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You got anything to plug, Bob? Uh, well, I got a thing to plug. I'm on, a, I'm on Twitter these days as, uh, as uh, Admiral Poopy Pants. And you can catch my tweets on this website, Twitter. Have you seen this? The Twitter app? Is it an app or a website? What is it? Yes. And then uh, you can also find me... Facebook? Are you on Facebook? Um, no. Is MySpace still a thing? Uh, Friendster. You can find me on Friendster. Oh, Makeout Club. <laughs> sexy scenesters wait wang out club Oof. wait Oof. wait a minute you can find me posting under the name doug's roommate on the b9 board <laughs> wait hold on um we've got a minute yeah no let's let me just say that's one thing we never went into the fact that, <laughs> that that for years you posted on a message board as Doug. What do you mean for years? I post on the Bridge Nine now as oh, hold on. Okay, well I've, I've uh, I post on the Bridge Nine now as a Doug. Okay, so you still do, but but for years I was on the the Bridge Nine board, and the only name I chose was Doug's roommate, and no one except for you and me understood what that was all about because no one cared. And no was, one cared at all. That was it's not the, like we were frequent posters or really in any of the real. No, but that was our joke because there were so many things that we talked about uh, in seven years uh, that no one would have given a, a shit about. And, well, I hope that this podcast was more interesting than that, but I, I honestly could come here and just chat with you for two hours, microphones or no, and, and you could release it. But, <laughs> but the, level of, the level of things that I find amazingly hilarious when they involve you is sometimes just Doug and Doug's roommate. Right, so yeah. Well, there is a character named Doug Lawless. No, no, I who understand. Who does things like eats crazy bread on YouTube and stuff? Yeah, but I'm still the guy who is Doug's roommate. So, yeah, yeah, and Which and is nice. you're involved. And Doug's Doug Lawless isn't big enough for anyone to give a, a rat's ass about who his roommate is, right? So, <laughs> well, we both had to be a little bit um, anonymous on the B nine. I think it's probably still good for anyone involved in that cesspool to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. Honest. I think I posted about like shows occasionally. I don't. I I read all the controversial threads, but I really didn't have a place in that board that wasn't just like more like, "Hey, have you heard this band or whatever?" Yeah. So, but man, thank you, thank you. For, we just did for the, being a we, friend. We did the handshake with the snap just a second ago. Well, so but then you were going into a character, so I just kept it going. Okay, Bob, you're awesome. Dave, you're okay. Well. Uh, we're going to leave your bedroom now. <laughs> I wonder if that belt is still around here anywhere. Is that is that like sign language for cut it? Something yes. you don't want to talk about? You go to hell. <laughs> All right. 
thank you for sticking it out for that one, that long one. I always love doing these episodes when it's somebody that I could spend just a long amount of time with. And when we're done, it feels like, well, we just got started, you know. Living with Bob for as long as I did, the conversation that you heard today, a, a lot of that was what our day-to-day -day life here at the house was like. So, um, yeah, that was great. It was wonderful to have him. Of course, we didn't get everything right. I mean, imagine that. So, gotta do some corrections, of course. Just little things, but I'll tell you, at one point we were talking about the song Steppin' Out, and we say by Joe, and then I think we don't say the last name. Of course, that's by Joe Jackson. We, uh, we were talking about the Berlin Airlift as if we knew anything about it. Uh, that the Berlin Airlift lasted for more than a year, from June of 1948 to September of 1949, contrary to our completely uneducated guesses. So, um, you know, when I'm editing these episodes, I go back and check on stuff like that. <sighs> At one point, when we we're doing our fake radio voices, I say Matthew Cross when I should have said Christopher Cross. I say that Matthew Cross is somebody though, and I was right. Matthew Cross played drums for Orange 9mm, and maybe that's why that name just was floating around in my head. And near the end of the episode, I say that I post on the Bridge 9 board now as Doug. Or actually the way I said it was, I post on the Bridge board now as Doug. Because at the time, I was still posting on the Bridge 9 board. Um, and it was true, you know, when we recorded the episode. But sadly, and probably for the good of all mankind, the Bridge 9 board was shut down. If you go to b9.com or whatever it is, b9board.com, you just get what looks like television color bars and it says technical difficulties or something like that. Uh, I always hold out hope that that means they'll come back, but it's been many months now. I don't think they are. So, the board is dead. Long live Jeep Bra. This podcast is a product of the Nobody Knows Podcast Network. Executive producers, David R. Larson and Kay Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the album Artifacts, Demos and Debris. Dylon, 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 because I spit out fire. Oh, because I'm confusing that with the turn my headphones up. <laughs> turn my headphones up. <laughs>